Yeah, every once in a while the truth comes out. Welcome to episode number 155 of Grumpy Old Benz for Monday, April 26, 2021. I'm Darren O'Neill coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of Middle America just outside of Chirac, where only three people were killed and 21 were wounded over the weekend in shootings in a city where, of course, there are no guns because we have really good gun laws. And from America's left coast, where we're considering moving behind an annual fee subscription paywall with ads only available to iOS users, I'm Ryan Bemrose. <laughs> well, Apple is just trying to make it easier for podcasters to make money so then they can take a third of it. Uh, yeah, well, that's <laughs> and that's pretty much the gist of it. Not just a third. You also have to pay if as a podcaster, you have to pay Apple an annual fee for the purpose of having 30 percent of your revenue taken from you. I mean, that wasn't too bad. Because that's 20 bucks well, a year, it's 20 a year. But yeah. and if they are doing and this was pointed out more, I found out everything I really need to know about this from our buddy Bandrew's podcast yesterday, the Bandrew says podcast, because he follows all this creator stuff. And it sounds like they'll host your content kind of like a Patreon type thing. Yeah. So it's not the 20 bucks isn't bad. And that also keeps people I mean, that's away hosting. That's competitive. Yes. And it also keeps people away if you don't have anybody listening. And this isn't something that they want people signing up for that are never going to have a subscribers because, you know, that doesn't make Apple any money. So that, no, for that, that, you go to anchor. Right. That part seemed fairly OK. And I don't mind another entry into the world of trying to help podcasters make money because. <laughs> You know, I, I mean, I, there's there's two things. I I pulled up a bunch of interesting facts about this, but the in the downside part, and these are the two things that would pretty much be a deal breaker for me. One is that I am absolutely with Epic on this one. Thirty percent is way way too damn high uh, for what Apple is offering. You're you're hosting. You're not actually helping produce. If Apple. If Apple was doing the editing afterward, if Apple was providing me hardware, if Apple were, uh, you know, sending me stories, then maybe this would be worth it. But you and I are doing pretty much all of the work of producing MP3 and then handing it to them. They're like, thanks. We'll go ahead and put this on a web server. You can, we'll take 30% now. It's too much, way too much. Like 5% is reasonable or, you know, 1% that podcast 2.0 wants. Um, the other deal breaker on this one is only available to people who are subscribed through Apple, which of course is a very Apple thing to do. And maybe if you're in that milieu, that's what you want. But we cater to people who are skeptical of technology. Yeah, and they use it. I mean, everybody I think yeah, uses a cell phone, no matter how skeptical but, you are. But, but how much of our audience will you forget the cutting off the audience because we'd be charging people? How much of our audience would we lose if we said, Oh, sorry, we're iOS only? Oh, a lot. But this isn't about an exclusive thing with Apple, but this is a further separating of those ecosystems, which means as a podcaster, you would have to be set up for this to make sense. 
you would have to be set up for Apple to take money from Apple people. You'd have to be set up with something else to take money from the people on Android. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, I guess diversification could be okay, but I would rather do this all in one place. Although in the era of the shadow banning and being deplatformed, maybe you want this as spread out as possible. I sure as hell wouldn't trust Apple with the uh, Apple who has demonstrated themselves to be a- at least as woke as the rest of Silicon Valley. I would not trust them with this content. If you have any content that doesn't follow exactly along the narrative of, of the mainstream Silicon Valley or or, you know, completely neutral content where you never touch anything that could get you deplatformed. And by the way, that's harder than you think. Um, well, yeah. And yeah. now let's remember that there are services like this. We talked about it recently that are looking at your behavior outside of this. And I can see and I know that I'm being mean to Apple, but I can see Apple being one of these companies that are like, oh, you posted hate speech on Twitter. So we're taking your podcast down on our service. So, as I said, uh, as I said in the opening, we're considering it and considered and no. I mean, grumpy old Benz is going to stay on the value for value model. We're going to continue hosting our own content. This is this is going to happen. Uh, I will, though, say that Apple has a couple advantages over the podcasting 2.0 recommendation or the you know system that's being set up, which is uh, and, and this is an advantage to most people still, whether or not if, if you're not already a, a shoulder deep in crypto. The Apple system lets you get paid in dollars and you don't have to set up a node. And and both of those are are pretty attractive to people who are non-technical. Yes. Well, that that was we've talked about this a lot with the podcasting 2.0 stuff. And I've been I've been anointed by the podfather to get everybody on this, I guess. Yeah, you were you were handed a task. <laughs> it's a big task, too. Uh, it's a but, big task. You haven't even got your own podcasts. There. Well, I mean, we are fairly integrated with the podcasting 2.0 stuff on the podcast we do uh both here at we, random thoughts we've got our namespace set up but it's a pretty big leap we there are a number of people on the stream already who have taken the leap into the value block right well that's the one thing we haven't not, done i mean we, yeah, we're not there we've done transcripts which we decided we don't know if that's actually a good thing right now because of the content although i think that the Technology is there now to where if Google or whoever wanted to scan the MP3 and do their own, it wouldn't yeah, be hard well, to do. You know, especially yes, yes, but it would take a lot more processing power than just a text checker. True. And like I said, or like you said a minute ago, when there are companies out there that are trying to decide whether or not to cancel you based on everything else you do, right? Putting out a transcript of this show will, I, I mean. In in another two years, a transcript of this show might be the kind of thing that prevents you or I from being able to get a bank loan <laughs> or, or go out in public <laughs> or go into a restaurant. No, no. You can just just hide your identity. Wear a mask. Oh, yeah. The, the, those don't work. But that was another story for later on. We we do that, the chapters. Was, we're fully into that because the chapters yes. I like. We do the person tag now, which I think is a great idea, especially for shows that do interviews or have guests a lot. This makes it easy to find out where somebody you like pretty awesome. There's not a lot out there that's integrated with it, but having that data available in the RSS feed is going to really unlock a lot of cool properties of, of anything that consumes RSS. Well, yeah, Uh, I did have uh, another comment about the chapters. 
and that is the app that I have been using, the PowerShell app that uses WinForms and uh, a stunning, beautiful UI straight out of 1997. Didn't you write uh, this? I wrote it. And um, I went ahead and tried to publish it to GitHub. And uh, it hasn't quite gone through yet because GitHub changed their policy and now they require you to use you can't use a password login to push to GitHub. I didn't I didn't realize this. Apparently, my show notes, my automated system has just been failing trying to upload show notes <laughs> after each show. Nice. So my my last show notes that I uploaded was like show 120. Everybody thinks you just stopped then. Everybody thinks, well, no, nobody said anything, which means nobody reads it. So it's not a huge priority to fix. But um, I was going to push that out there for any other podcasters who wanted to make chapter files a little bit easier. And so as soon as I figure out how to push to GitHub again, um, I'll be sending that out. Now, have you integrated this with any of the open source? players to get the time code where you could just press a button while you're listening no. and then because that's a big part of it when i'm doing them for, my, my player is vlc i watch the the counter at the bottom of the thing when that's what i've been doing with random thoughts and then just putting the amount of seconds in and then doing it all a text file by hand which is kind of a pain but for a short show oh, it's not impossible to do and i can do it while listening at two times the speed so it's not like it's taking me any more time but the, well, the, the the very first function I wrote, because it was the most important, was the one to automatically convert H colon M colon S into a number of seconds. Right, right. Because that's it. And I have a website that I found that does that. So I have to do that manually. But it's I mean, not calculator that hard. will do that. But. Yes. You know, it's a simple mathematical formula. You're just doing it without help. Then you really have to be good at math. And then you screw well, something up. You just up have and, to not screw it up. Right. Which you would if you're trying to do it quickly as we do um, anyway um you know what i just think I'll, it's funny you were complaining about the interface on something you wrote oh yeah yeah it's it's obviously terrible <laughs> well it's wind forms <laughs> but if it works that is the main thing and that's the only thing i care about which that would be something i think people would be interested in because when this first came out although i haven't looked over the past few weeks and this stuff is moving pretty quick because there's a lot of people jumping on this. Finding an automated solution for doing this stuff was impossible. They didn't exist except in the Apple sphere. There were one or two programs to do the chapters. And uh, I use Windows, so I did it by hand, and that worked. But the person tags, I think, are great when it gets to the point where you can go to something like the podcast index and just rather than typing in grumpy old bands or random thoughts or hog story as a show and search for that, when I can go and search Ryan Bemrose and not only find, oh, well, he's the host of Grumpy Old Ben's, but also he's had guest appearances on the Sergene show and the Hog Story show and the whole list of where you've been with those episodes in an RSS even better, which is something the Podchaser app does. Um, yeah, that is genius because you can it, then follow somebody, especially if somebody makes a lot of appearances elsewhere, you know, you'll be able to catch those shows. It, it, it fulfills. uh a, a need that podcast listeners have had for years, which is you encounter a guest on a show somewhere that you suddenly that you really need more of. And you're like, where else has this person been? I I guess what I'm saying is it satisfies the e-stalker in all of us. Well, it's something like, uh, you know, John C. Dvorak was on the Edwin Black show and it's never been published yet. So, uh. I don't know when that show is coming out, but if it did, then you'd know where to find that. And uh, it would make it easy and not e-stalking, but you're right. You 
the concept with a lot of podcasters, and this is something we shunned for a long time. We brought a lot of people in as guests on Grumpy Old Ben's. We did a list the other day, and we've had quite a few guests for our short run of Grumpy Old Ben's. But you and I haven't really gone out and been on other shows. I mean, there's nobody asking. But besides that, yeah. the hey, I, I, I've gone on every show that's asked. <laughs> we <laughs> so what? I, Hog story. I, I and can Gene. claim that now that I've been on Sir Gene. Yes, and he has been. Yeah, he, he really wanted you on too, and that was just fantastic. And uh, because it really pointed out the audio problems that Gene had in his show, which I thought thought was. Uh, amazing but well what pointed out the problems was you listening to the show and i guess i had to yes. be on it for you to bother listening well yeah because i i mean sir gene i like but he's one of those guys who releases and i know pot kettle black he releases so much stuff that you can't keep up with it and i am a weird add kind of a person and i realized this early on when i got into different music artists and, you know, if I caught up with an artist, oh, I just discovered Bruce Springsteen when I was 14 and that was born in the USA. But immediately after getting into that album, it's like, well, then I want every other album he's ever put out. So See, and, and and then you have to satisfy your inner e-stalker. Yes. And then you have to go and get everything else and you feel like you're caught up and that you're not missing anything. So, yeah, that kind of OCD stuff seems to be pretty characteristic of our generation for whatever reason. And it's uh, it, it get over it. <laughs> and well, there's then there are podcasts. I mean, the perfect length, I suppose, for people like me are that half hour or so show that like our buddy Larry does over at that Larry show, because then you can listen to them. It's one a week and you can find the time to do that with Sir Gene putting out shows that are an hour to two to four hours long and then putting out four or five in a week. You get behind and then you just go and eh, no. I can't. I, I I mean, I I like bashing on Gene just as much as the next guy, but this is all on you. Yeah, uh, no, I, I agree. Just start, just treat. I, I if if the show is putting out too much content and your time is limited, treat it like Rogan. Go and <laughs> if something and is not on, listen, well, <laughs> maybe that's the solution. But no, like the way that I always treated Rogan before they paywalled him, at least was. If there was a guest that I was particularly interested in, I'd go watch that show. But I don't watch every show. For one thing, I don't go there to watch for Rogan. No, um, oh, exactly. Know, I, I don't. I don't listen to Sir Gene's interviews for for the Sir Gene information because he gives the same anecdotes every show. <laughs> but and, he, and he's not a good interviewer. He when he was, I listened to the uh, Tina Curry episode. And Sir Gene, you interrupt too much. Go back and listen to those episodes. Let the guest well, talk. Yeah, that's. Yes, that's my advice as well. And, uh, you know, again, pot and kettle. But there's a reason why I don't interview people. <laughs> yeah, because you would never give them get a word in edgewise. That is why. Although Nick the Rat does a good job interviewing people and he's in the troll room right now, which is where everybody should be when we're doing these shows live. Noagendastream.com, noon Eastern on Mondays and Fridays. But Nick apparently doesn't remember that he was, in fact, on as a guest on one of our Grumpy Old Ben's shows. Yeah, he was on a Grumpy Old Ben's and I was on a show of uh, abs and a six pack with Nick. And then I was on Nick's show. He asked me to come on to uh, Nick the Rat, his show Wednesday nights on uh, No Agenda Stream as well or Nick the Rat Radio dot com. It, it was hard to tell because uh, like so many of our guests, if you're not the boisterous, outgoing, have to talk all the damn time type of person. 
then you're not going to get a word in edgewise on this show. Yeah, I noticed that with our episode 151 with Larry, that he talked a lot less than we did. <laughs> we talked too much. We understand, Larry. You got to get meaner when you're on these rough streets of grumpy old Ben's. Uh, but we, we just talked about Rogan. I saw there was another article this past week that there was another 40 to 50 episodes of the Rogan catalog that were being tagged for removal because, you know, <gasps> bad content. And yeah, be, uh, because they're suddenly Rogan doesn't own his own destiny anymore. And and there's a gatekeeper on his show yeah. telling people what he is and isn't allowed to talk about. You know, and I called this and I'm still not sure what Rogan's end game was on this because he seems to be hello, cha-ching. Yeah, well, that was it. And that's <laughs> would be you have to say that at this point, because he seems to be happily going along with this rather than saying, you know what, for, Spotify, I'd rather just get out of this deal. Keep the money. I want to keep doing what the, I'm for, doing for that much money. I would also probably go with, OK, you know what? You can censor me. Yeah, but how much more show? can he be no. making in that deal than he was without them? I wouldn't even try to speculate. No, but he's making no. more than I am. Well, yeah. yeah now, here's true. the thing. If if I were Rogan, I probably would bristle at the idea that some of my content is being is being censored. But what I'd probably end up doing is like, OK, you know what? This show that you guys own is now being censored and all the things that you won't let me talk about. I'm starting a new show over here called Grumpy Old Joe Rogan. Right. Right. To talk to these guests that you won't let be yeah. uh, allowed on this other show and this is a very scary thing when conversations because i mean you know rogan's had some people that are totally whacked on the left and totally whacked on the right and you look at the episodes that are getting axed and it seems to be a pretty clear case of well we know who we're going to get rid of the wackos on the left are okay the wackos on the right are dangerous and i mean Yes, Spotify's been infested with social justice warriors. In fact, Spotify, more than many other companies, has been so infested with SJWs that there have been articles written in the news about people at Spotify crying because they put the wrong content up. And I, I, I'm sorry, if you are a CEO and you care about the reputation of your company, uh, you need to fire those employees immediately and then buy whatever publication published that story and burn it down because that is not a story that you want associated with your company no i don't understand the death of free speech when it comes to discussing ideas i know there's a lot right now because there was another uh, story of mit just came out with something saying you know when it comes to being indoors and this virus uh, six foot and 60 feet aren't really all that different, which I'm sure is going to give a lot yeah. of people pause. At, yeah, I uh, put that one. It, it's actually in my notes under the no shit category. <laughs> it all depends, though, on the airflow in a building. And this we talked about oh, yeah. immediately. Yeah. Twelve inches is fine if you're in an airplane that has massive suction all over you. But if you're in a, a stagnant hole, then 60 feet isn't good enough. You're right. It all depends on the ventilation. We knew this from day one because of the information they had from a restaurant in China as far as who was infected and who wasn't. And then they showed you how their ventilation system worked and where the airflow was. And you're like, oh, OK, well, this makes absolute perfect sense. 
these people were in this area, which was just moving this air back and forth between that area. Everybody in that area seemed to get infected. Everybody outside of that area that was served by another unit, then they were all fine. They were all in the same building. It didn't really matter because it all depends where the air is going. And this is how this stuff gets carried around. And it's not like it magically. I don't know what people think, like you're in a vacuum if you're in a grocery store and that you don't think air can move over six feet. I mean, we once did a story, I think, here about about somebody sneezing and how far that those droplets can go. It it happened. You know what? Actually, if you were in a vacuum, though, (laughs) you would be very, very safe from airborne particles. That's true. Yeah. But I mean, it's stagnant, you know, no airflow kind of a thing. Yeah. that well, the, and, and, and let's see, what place do most people encounter that has stagnant and very, very poor airflow? Um, maybe between your mask and your mouth. Well, yeah, we it's know the there's worst possible place. Bacteria just grows in that, there and it's not. That good. was the other article. I think I mentioned this one last week, but the, the Stanford study uh, that said, uh, yeah, masks actually don't do anything at all. And in fact, are detrimental. Boy. How many places did you see that one on on Facebook or Twitter? Or- well, this makes perfect sense when you look at the states doing things differently where there were lockdowns or where there wasn't, where there were mask mandates, where there wasn't. The results are the same between them, which shows you that the things people are doing to be safe are really not helping them at all. Doing nothing. And you just have to understand that virus is going to be a virus and there's nothing you can do to go out in the world and guarantee that you're not going. If this is out there and it's it's the flu, (laughs) we have have, somehow humanity has trudged on for millennia where we've got seasonal flu, seasonal cold. We seem to survive. The only reason this one is unique is because it has a better PR. Although, now that I think about it, we probably shouldn't spend a bunch of time on COVID because that's been, if you want that, go listen to No Agenda. They've been having far better coverage and a whole lot more time dedicated to it. Yeah. Well, there's there's no question that it's something that science was claiming to know long before they had the the actual results. This was a lot of guesswork pushed off as science. It's still going on. And for anybody to be like, no, we can prove masks help. It's like, "Uh uh-huh, sure. Uh, Show me the show me the data because I I haven't seen that. But well, we we have talked a lot data. No, you don't you don't need data. In fact, you don't need to prove or show anything. Just believe in the science. Well, it's because you want to be woke. Yes, you just have to believe in the science. Don't you believe in science? No. Oh, okay. Should I? <laughs> Depends so, who's, uh, who's the scientist. You don't happen to have any VHS tapes out, do you? No. Oh, man, I saw this, though. Because <laughs> this, I mean, there's a lot of people who used to rent VHS tapes that are going, did I return that yeah. copy of... Uh, yeah, I, I pretty quickly went over to... I, I've still got one box that still has some VHS tapes in, which I don't even have any way to play anymore. And I'm done poking through going, I wonder if any of these are rentals. <laughs> and you're like, oops, wait a minute. So, um, yeah, this uh, this was a woman uh, who currently lives in Texas and was trying to get her name changed when she got married. And Texas would not let her do that. 
because they said you have some, uh, you know, some unresolved stuff in Oklahoma. Well, she hasn't lived in Oklahoma in 18 years. Um, she lived with a, a guy and his two teenage daughters at the time. And in March of 2000, somebody on her account, she swears she would never watch this kind of movie. I don't know if it matters. Rented the movie Sabrina, the teenage witch from movie place in Norman, Oklahoma. Don't go looking for it. They closed in 2008. But the fact that she never returned it caused her to get charged in Oklahoma with felony embezzlement of rented property, but not informed about the charge. Well, right. That is uh, that was the worst part about all of this, which is the non none uh the claw whatever no whatever no, the- it's not the worst part about this was uh she said that uh over the last 20 years she's been let go from several jobs without being given a reason why and said now it all makes sense because every company every time you fill out a uh an application for a company they make you a consent to run a criminal background check and a company that runs a criminal background check on somebody and sees the words felony embezzlement <laughs> are not going to hire you. No, but well, well, this so, is the non notification aspect of this is absolutely ridiculous. And this happens with different bonkers. things all the time. I and mean, we got a letter in the mail the other day that w- this was a collection agency and we still owed like 300 bucks from some anesthesiologist. And I'm like, wouldn't that? And it's from 2016. And I'm like, what the hell is this? And looked it up. My wife had a endoscope back then. And sure enough, we, you know, got the bill back then. And it's like, well, the insurance company should pay that. So just filed that. Had not heard anything in four years until now. All of a sudden, I guess these people need money. And we got a call, you know, a letter and then called this collection agency and they had all the right information and everything was legit. It seemed I don't know why the insurance company didn't pay it back then, but this was over four years. So now if this had just gone on and then was marked as, you know, a debt that wasn't paid, I mean, obviously it's a little different than a theft. I mean, now we look at VHS tapes like ah, they're worth a buck if that. But back then, if you remember some of these movies to buy. Back before movie buying was a thing, here, here's a little lesson, kids. When the VHS market hit, most of these movie companies didn't actually want to sell you a tape. They were all being sold to the stores that would rent them to you. And if you wanted to buy a copy of Star Wars, I mean, it was crazy, like a hundred bucks or so. You're talking 1984. Yeah, going way back. Uh, yeah. Well, th- this story happened in 2000. Well, there's people were still renting tapes then, I guess. Yeah, people were still renting tapes, but... But the cost of rent a tape was like the the, the last time that I had a, a, a rental card with my local blockbuster, I think I was living in Redmond. So that would have been 2002. And I, I think I paid 30 bucks to have, uh, you know, one movie out at a time uh, unlimited for 30 days. So really, it was a matter of, of a movie a day if I could keep up watching them all. And that I mean, that's super cheap, but I could have gone out and bought the same movie for 15 bucks that that was what it was in in 2000. Right. Which I don't understand. How was this a felonious thing? Was there no limitation on what you could say? Uh, Because copyright. No, that has nothing to do with the copyright, the value on it. Oh, it it absolutely does. Or was it this this come down to you just 
I, the only way I could see this uh, happening would be you didn't return the tape, which was worth 30 bucks, whatever it is. And they were charging you a dollar a day late, late fee, fees. which then a, few, a year yeah, later, actually, maybe that's it. Maybe that maybe that's it. I, I, I imagine the like, you know, there's a threshold you have to go over in order to for them to call it a felony. And uh, if if you decide to throw copyright infringement on there, then the the current copyright act is something like one hundred eighty thousand dollars per instance. And if you put that on there, that definitely pushes it out there. But if they didn't do that, then eight years of late fees that nobody told you about. <laughs> well, yeah, you should know. Like, are, are are they not bothering to try to contact people? Or, and, that was my question with this anesthesiologist point, bill. You got to like, just write off. Yeah. Like, okay, it, it's you know, it, it's a to the to the rental store. The movie probably cost fifty bucks because the the prices are higher. But at some point, you're like, uh, it's not worth keeping these records this long for a fifty buck movie. You know, and it was handed over or whatever, and then you know, reported to the local authorities. That's just that's just such a dick move for a uh, yeah for a story. Now there was some good news, and that is the DA in Oklahoma did dismiss the case. However, uh, Ms. McBride uh, is going to have to either appear or send a lawyer to the court in order to expunge that, so that she doesn't have the words felony embezzlement on her record, which is a good thing to expunge. Yeah, over over a movie. The the thing that bugs me about this, it it was it wasn't just a movie. It was not even a movie that she rented. I I, I believe her when she says she probably didn't do it. Never let anyone use your blockbuster card. Yeah. If you live with two teenagers, they'll take your blockbuster. What's it worth? Uh Well, apparently a lot. (laughs) The the real crime to me is the idea that all of these frigging companies are doing criminal background checks and going, yeah, I'm sorry, you're unhirable because of this. And then don't tell you. And I've been in plenty of those interviews where the interviewer will, uh, you get a no and you get absolutely no indication why there was a no. Sometimes it's something you said. Sometimes it's something that they found, but there's no way to address this. The only thing you can do is constantly go into interviews after interview after interview and hope that whatever it is that you have no idea about, you have no way of knowing why you're being rejected. And, it, you know, if it's something you're saying, then you have no way of knowing, OK, well, maybe I should try to work on this. If if I don't know enough Python, then they won't tell me we rejected you because you don't know Python and everybody needs to know Python. They'll just say, sorry, no. And. That in itself is infuriating because there's no possible way to improve. There's no route out of it. But combine that with the fact that lots and lots of companies now are using the same uh, uh, the, the same process. They're, they're contracting out to somebody who does the background checks and just comes up back with a thumbs up or thumbs down. And you apply for 10 jobs and every one of these companies that you applied for all use the same firm. That firm is now saying, well, sorry, we found felony embezzlement, thumbs down. And you don't know why you're wasting so much time. Right. You're just hoping you run into an HR person that has the balls to be like, you know, there's this felony thing on your record and that's a problem. (laughs) Yeah. And if somebody tells you, you can resolve it. But yeah, nobody ever told this woman for 20 years. Well, and the reality is she's not the only one this has happened to. And there were plenty of people who got pulled over for expired license, a speeding ticket. We're like, yeah, we got to take you in. There's a warrant out for you. Uh, 
This is not good. This is some serious stuff that will screw with your life. Not just, oh, there's a bill to be paid. And uh, it's it, it's it's a side effect of, of the, the world being hyper connected anymore. True. It's true. You know, no, nobody, nobody trusts people on a handshake when there's databases out there. But when the databases are wrong, y- you don't even know that it's wrong, let alone have any opportunity to correct it. And hopefully that is something that is we know we can all pull our own credit reports and stuff now. I mean, I'm assuming you can pull your own criminal record, but that should be something that is allowed, you know, once a year. Or if there's any changes that, you know, the government has to let you know that there's something on your record. Yeah, but, uh, it, the, the problem is it, it most places have public databases for criminal records. If if this if if she had known that she had a criminal record and that's what was preventing her from getting these jobs then she could have probably gone out and done some internet research or did ask somebody and figured out, Oh, this is what happened. But you, I, I, there, there was an idea you know, way, way back in the day. Uh, if you go into chat rooms, the uh, one, you know, you, you ask for help. And if the chat room people are feeling particularly grumpy, then uh, the, the most unhelpful response you could get was RTFM. You, you remember this? <laughs> you read the manual, baby. Yeah. It stands for read the manual. And uh, it 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 was the most unhelpful response because half of the time um, my problem was not, you know, if, if I went into one of these, it's because I had exhausted every idea available to me. I had read every manual that I knew about. And the reason it was so incredibly unhelpful was the problem was not RTFM. The problem was KTFME. Knowing that the manual exists, <laughs> it's it's. Not just did you avail yourself of the of the information available. It's do you know that the information is available? And that's the biggest benefit to a chat room is you say, I'm having this problem. You know, what do I need to do to fix it? And if you're doing well, then what you need to know what they'll say is, oh, you need to go and read this other manual that you probably didn't know about. But if they're assholes, they're just going to say, read the read the manual. Right. You need to read the super secret extra manual. That's the way yeah, you're supposed yeah. to read, go. read the other manual. Read. Yeah. The one that only goes, um, the one that only goes to people when they ask the right set of, you know, the right question in the right order. And, uh, you know, that's the way it works. But yeah, I'm, I'm glad this woman got that taken care of. And it's a cautionary tale to everybody to be aware of what's on your record. Yeah. And just to remember this, those halcyon days of renting videotapes. Yeah. And, and, and nobody really paid much attention. It was like if blockbuster cards were like, oh, I, 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 I threw it out in the middle of the street. I'll just go get another one. I mean, why? Like the real question is, I don't know. You're, you're putting your name out there and effectively saying on credit on, on my good name, I am going to return this movie. And I rental things were huge in the nineties. There were, yeah. I mean, there, there were, there were federal laws made about, uh, you know, it, carving out extra privacy concerns around your rental history, which doesn't even apply anymore because nobody rents anymore. Well, right. It's well, you're all just streaming. It, I mean, that's where everybody listening now that's under a certain age is like, what do you mean? You used to go and rent movies at a store and then return them. What, how, what do you, what weird voodoo are you using? Be kind. Rewind. Uh-huh. Yeah. And this is a uh, 
I just lost all the zoomers in the audience. <laughs> Re- rewind what? Because I think, yeah, there's there's a certain amount of people who remember the end of that rental era, but only rented discs, never renting the videotapes because the videotape yeah. renting was so horrible because about 50 percent of them suck so bad because the tapes have been ruined by bad VCRs and they were mangled oh, yeah. and was- oh, did, did that sound that it makes if you go home and you plop the disc in and you hit play and you <laughs> well, just that- hear click. Yeah, click, that too. Click, click. Yeah, as the tape is broken and it's just spinning in there. Yeah, or uh, that happened with DVDs too. Whether you could usually see the scratches on them, these the physical media was beat to crap when you didn't own it. I think the last things really that were the survivors of that was the game rentals. But then we all know what happened to GameStop and uh, and the the companies that. Dealt oh yeah, with- it was. Uh, I was using uh, what what the what was the service Ga- GameSpot? I think up until about oh seven. Yeah, it was uh, like the Netflix. Of, it was uh, Netflix of, of video games where they just send you a game for as long as you wanted. And then you send it back and get a next one on your queue. Um, I, I played a hell of a lot of games that way. And then somewhere along the line, I realized that I wasn't playing as many games that it wasn't worth the subscription cost, which is the right way to get out of a subscription like that. But yeah. And people are watching less movies now, which is good because Hollywood's totally woke. And, and also because the movies are all shit. Well, yeah, because mainly because they're woke, which is a big part of it, I think. So you didn't tune in to the Oscars last night to get all the I, I shoot. Sadly, I missed them. <laughs> there was uh, there was you no know, way. Actually, I've got I've got somebody who watches and summarizes it for me. That's John C. Dvorak. And and thank you for your courage. He'll find out all about uh, who won the movie of the year. I mean, there were a few articles that I saw that talked about it was just another. Woke I mean, Ricky Gervais wasn't there, and so I just, I was out. The only thing, and I did pull a clip on this, because we talk so much about Hollywood, and rightfully so, and how many people in Hollywood are total douchebags, and how many just don't get it. We talk about the douchebags like LeBron James, who will go after a cop without knowing what actually happened, and it was nice to actually hear somebody that's pretty big in the Hollywood community, in this case, Tyler Perry, speak and make sense and said something that M- I must thought- not really be in the Hollywood community then if he was making sense. <laughs> well, he very much is. And I don't know how much his words will filter down through everybody else in Hollywood. But this, I thought, was something that People should hear because I think they needed proof. We could have read this, but this is a minute and eight seconds. Oh. I mean, I was you... about to ask sarcastically if you brought a clip. I did. I mean, this we know <laughs> we rarely bring clips to this, but I thought okay, this I'll, was I'll allow it this time. I thought this was something people should hear. This was Tyler Perry last night after getting the Gene Hershot Humanitarian Award. So obviously he's a good guy. Got a humanitarian award, although Hollywood was giving it out. But this is part of what he said in his speech. My mother taught me to refuse hate. She taught me to refuse blanket judgment. And in this time and with uh, all of the Internet and social media and algorithms and everything that wants us to think a certain way, the 24 hour news cycle. It is my hope that all of us would teach our kids and not only to remember, just refuse hate. Don't hate anybody. I, I refuse to hate someone because they are Mexican or because they are black or white. 
or LBGTQ. I refuse to hate someone because they are a police officer. I refuse to hate someone because they are Asian. I would hope that we would refuse hate. And I want to take this Gene Herschel humanitarian award and dedicate it to anyone who wants to stand in the middle no matter what's around the wall, stand in the middle, because that's where healing happens. That's where conversation happens. That's where change happens. It happens in the middle. So anyone who wants to meet me in the middle to refuse hate, to refuse blanket judgment, and to help lift someone's feet off the ground, this one is for you too. God bless you, and thank you, Academy. I appreciate it. Thank you. So that was interesting. He'll, he'll from, never work in, the, in Hollywood again. <laughs> He's got enough money to do whatever he wants, I think, at this point. But God bless Tyler Perry for coming out and saying hey you know hate is not a good thing and this is the one thing for whatever reason a lot of people on the left have refused to do there was so much trump hate now there's cop hate there's a lot of hate going on they and, don't characterize it as hate well they should they characterize it with words like anti-racism uh-huh anti let's be more racist by being anti-racist and uh i just thought that was interesting because this is the kind of voice that people need to hear to be more I, rational and to have conversations rather than, oh, no, you're this. I hate you. Well, you know, I did think it was funny during that clip that uh, the I mean, it, it was he, he was really well mic'd, so you could hear him anyway. But when he was talking about, you know, don't hate Mexicans and the little bit of applause and don't hate black people and massive applause. And that applause was crescendoing. Nobody in the audience could hear him say, don't hate white people and the because police. they were all clapping too loud. Yeah. And the police. And then they started yeah. quieting down a little bit like, wait, wait, wait a minute. Um, but he makes a good point that this should just be your default. And he was talking about his mother and now she was the one that taught him all this. And I mean, it's a good lesson to teach your kids not to hate people based upon any one factor. Now, if somebody is a dick to you. You know, if somebody slaps you upside the head, yeah, you probably want to get them back. But the reality of when you hate somebody, it's really you don't have negative to, to you, not to them. You don't have to hate somebody to seek retribution. True. When, when somebody, you know, somebody slaps me upside the head, I slap them back or punch them or whatever, and then I'm done. And I don't hate them after that. And you want to continue this, I'll escalate, but we're good. The score has been settled. And yeah, yeah. Hating only hurts the person doing the hating is what it comes down to. And that's. Really why we've talked about so much social media being so destructive. Hating something is an emotional investment and you are you are investing part of yourself into hating in, in you. You are you are creating an emotional connection between you and whatever you've decided to hate. And that is a lot of effort to maintain. It's one of the reasons why. What was the stat I saw on No Agenda uh, last Thursday, I think, when. uh uh, the, the stat was up to uh, all, almost 50% of white liberal women have mental health issues. Yeah. And, and I'm like, white liberal women, you just said their mental health issue, but <laughs> you understand but it, why, but, but, but what, what they mean is diagnosed mental issues where they've gone to a psychiatrist or a psychologist who has said, you know, you have this condition and, uh, you know, being liberal isn't actually in the DSM, although I think it should be, but. The the thing is, uh, you know, a, a big part of that is um, being woke requires an emotional investment that stretches you so thin that and, and it's 
you know, if, if, if you want to go back to Kaczynski, it's the over socialized. You're, you, you, you know, being, being socialized means caring about the things society does. And being over socialized means that you are in a, a, a milieu or a group where y- you have to be hypersensitive to everything because that's what the group expects of you. And therefore, in order to be what the group expects you to be, y- you have to, you have to be hyper attentive to everything and emotionally invest yourself and spread so thin that it's no wonder people are mentally breaking down. It's one of the reasons why I, I am a very, very well adjusted individual because I don't give a crap about anyone. Well, and the concept I think came right after you and I were growing up through grammar school, which nobody calls it anymore, elementary school, junior high, high school, college. The concept that Kids should be drugged up on whatever they want to give them, whatever is the popular thing of the day. But there's been so much more over the last couple of decades. Where oh, I am so glad that I was old enough to not be part of the riddle in general. Right. Well, that's it. You know, that's like, oh, little Johnny can't uh, concentrate in school. I yeah. mean, it may not be that the teachers were a bunch of morons and couldn't yeah. keep. Cause, cause I absolutely would have been diagnosed ADHD. In fact, as an adult, I was diagnosed ADHD and they said, well, we have medication for this. And I tried the medication for a month and my wife tells me, Hey, this is changing your personality. I said, then we're done. Yeah. It makes, yeah. I mean, believe is- it or not, this personality, this is my base state. It gets worse <laughs> if I'm on drugs, but this is the sad part about this is all of this. When you talk about, and this is not belittling mental health at all there are people with serious issues and they need to seek help from somebody that can help them when you start lowering the bar on what constitutes a mental illness and you see things like this where 50 percent of a pop you know a certain demographic well has been diagnosed with a mental health issue that's not good that is not good and drugging a whole the whole society is not good It points to one or two things. Either being in that demographic is bad for your mental health, or there are too damn many things to diagnose people with. And I would argue that both are true. Well, yeah, Big Pharma, again, there were have been a bunch of jokes. I know a lot of people really gave me a lot of hate for even suggesting the Big Bang Theory might be a decent show. But the one you got roasted for that one. (laughs) I thought it was great. Uh, The one character in the show, Bernadette works for a drug company and there i mean there's a lot of jokes which you just couldn't get away with anymore i've been watching mash again too which there's really a lot of jokes in there oh you couldn't yeah get away with anymore that was back when you were allowed to make fun of cross-dressers yeah yeah that was uh the whole clinger thing the black doctor from the first season who then disappears his name was spear chucker jones and it's like wait this are you serious wow (laughs) and i mean i guess that was fine for television back then and a lot of people might try to cancel mash now and not understand again looking at it from a societal aspect and how far things have progressed and gotten better no we can't we can't let you see any of that i would venture to say that there are very few people under 50 who even realize that that in in its context that was pure satire Yes, that was the show was making fun of everything about the Vietnam War and the army culture and occupying a foreign country. And a lot of people will look at it now and be like, well, these are insensitive jokes. Yeah, 
comedy used to be like that back when it was funny. Well, look at Ho- uh, Hogan's Heroes. I had no idea until a week or two ago when somebody posted something online that the gentleman in Hogan's Heroes that played the Frenchman LeBeau actually, as a kid, was in one of the concentration camps. So it's like, wow, that's just a weird. Uh, well, that's just therapy then. Yeah, yeah, it certainly would be. And that was a, also a very funny show. But the Bernadette character, there's been a bunch of jokes in the Big Bang Theory about, oh, well, we invented this drug, you know, that did this and you know, it wasn't what they wanted. But, oh, here's how it was repackaged or here's how they sold it and made millions of dollars. And I think there is a certain amount of that going on. It's way I don't too think close to the truth. That's why it can't be used anymore. Right. It's like, oh. Wait, yeah, we're going to drug everybody up so uh, we can make more money, even though they don't have you know, a problem. The the idea of taking a, a generic drug that has been uh, out of patent for 40 years and you you take it and you combine it with an antacid. And it, it, the process is called evergreening where you know, or, or a drug that you have that is about to go out of patents and you you change it just a little bit. You add, you know, 10 milligrams of aspirin to it or something. And suddenly you have a new patentable thing. You get 15 more years of being able to charge exorbitant prices and and prevent anyone else from making it. It's a whole new That's, concept. It's a whole new drug. It's a whole new formulation. Yes, there, we've added vitamin D. Yeah. I, I mean, there, there's there's a ton of drugs on the market which have been around for 80 years and have recently gone back into patent where only one company is allowed to make it. And the price goes up 20 fold because of people playing patent games like this. Yeah. It's an interesting thing. You, you can learn a lot from watching dumb old sitcoms, believe it or not. You can just yeah, see. but I can learn a lot more by reading actual reference. Well, that seems a little dry for most people. Yeah, I, I get that. But uh, one thing that may be changing, I thought this was interesting with the census, because remember, that was so important. Everybody fill out that census. It does appear that there have been enough. People, I knew I forgot something last year. Yeah, you, did, you didn't get in on that. But there was enough of an exodus from California and New York State that they are likely going to be losing house seats and Florida and Texas gaining. So this is actually with how close the house is right now. This most likely will swing this back in a red color for a while. Not that uh. everybody that's red is good. But taking away house seats from California and New York, Florida and Texas set to get more. Which is why they want Washington, D.C. to be a state. Yeah, I was I was just sorry. I was just gripping my show notes where I uh, show 110. I brought this story. Yeah. And it's happening. Yeah. Uh, Although, um, is it happening? Because I thought that the I mean, this would only affect this would only count any exodus that happened before last april correct which was already happening out of california okay well the because the bulk of the new york exodus happened after cuomo showed his true colors as an authoritarian communist yes which will uh, continue to go down i believe and uh now well i mean at some point new york is going to have something like 30 house seats and zero people (laughs) well yeah for a while I mean, it's going to be easy to get that job because you're going to be the only person that wants it. Although it's good money. So you might want to move to New York well, just to run. Might have to fight AOC for it. Yeah, it's better than fighting Caitlyn Jenner. Now, she's going to be getting a lot of hate. Oh, she could kick my ass. <laughs> she's going to be getting a lot of hate because 
I bet I could take AOC. I mean, a conservative trans person is another thing that confuses. Like, it's like a conservative black person. It confuses the hell out of the left. Yeah, you can see the steam coming off it. Like, I... They played the Bill Maher clip yesterday on No Agenda, and and you had mentioned it before that, I think, on the last show. And uh, you you could like when they played it, you could just hear the steam coming out of Mars ears Uh about a a conservative trans person. How does that even happen? How dare they? How dare they think different than somebody else? Huh? Funny, huh? Isn't that funny? That's how it's supposed to work. You're yeah, supposed to, you're supposed to be able to think the way there, you want. There's no room in the woke ideology for people who think for themselves, and that's why every any time that you encounter one, like you know who who is the Candace Owens is the most horrible black woman in America yeah. because she thinks for herself. Yeah, because you actually don't go down the party line, which, when it comes down to it, could catapult her to some really big things i do believe she's going to run for office i do believe she will win because she can eviscerate anybody that she has to debate and that uh, well she's witty as crap on yes, Twitter at least I, any, I don't care what state whatever she's running for i would watch those debates because she is so good at being able to throw facts out there to just immediately Take anything somebody else said and tell them why they're wrong and have stats to prove they're wrong and be able to tell people where to go to verify the stats she just used. That that's somebody that's I think why they always people on the left hated Rush Limbaugh. I mean, besides the fact that he threw a lot of comedy in and liked to just poke fun. Yeah, he 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 made the the tragic mistake of being entertaining and people hated him for that. Yeah. But he was also a guy that was very hard to refute the things that he said and that is what i think is yeah, going to make right is like that yeah it's going to make her well even being right is one thing if you don't know how to back that up with the general public because this is a lot of what's going on with the covid stuff too because people just buy well no mask work six feet work and and this even mit coming out with something that says no that's a bunch of crap they're going to get pushback because, well, no, we've been told this. You have to be able to present the material in such a way that you actually move people. We've talked about this a lot with the emotional bias factor. And I think she's good at it. I think Rush was really good at it. And that's those are the people that are dangerous politicians, especially if they're evil, because they can convince you of anything. I mean, Hitler, I guess back in the day, was pretty persuasive. He had to be. Yeah, that would only make sense, right? And uh, we just want to we want to kill history so nobody knows that. What's going on here, though, with the House is going to be interesting to watch. We do have a country that is very much in flux. And so far, that's the way the country is supposed we're, to work. We're very much fluxed is what you're trying to say. For now, We might be. We might be because it's Biden. I don't know how anybody he still disappeared. He's nowhere out there. He's not making appearances when he does. He often just butchers the language. And it's kind of funny when it's an old guy, you know, grandpa or something said something funny. It's not funny when it's the leader of the free world and he can't get a coherent sentence out. That is that's a little bit more troublesome. I don't know. I find it hilarious. It is, except when you realize the power that he has and he has his handlers, which should also scare the crap out of people that 
this doesn't seem to be the guy that's actually doing the job. There is a group of people around him. And who are these people? I mean, you know, a few, but who's actually making the decisions? And there's it's a different thing when as the president, you're the guy making that call because, you know, this comes down to you. In those last minutes, we had a story on random thoughts about a Russian guy working in one of their nuke facilities you know, the nuclear missile, the guy with his hand on the button that was getting an error. No, not an error message. He was getting an alert, which turned out to be an error. But he got the alert that said the United States has just launched a bunch of ICBMs. They're incoming. And he's like, wait a minute. That doesn't make sense. I mean, his training was (laughs) you launch, you get this, you launch. He didn't. I've seen this scene. This was a Right at the beginning of a 1984 documentary with Matthew Broderick. I don't know it was Matthew Broderick. That was War Games. But that was yes. uh, there was a similar thing in that that was actually a, a test. And that was on the American side. This actually did happen on the Russian side where they got the computer telling them there were ICBMs coming in. And the guy's like, well, it doesn't make sense. Well, part of it was because it was only a handful. And he's like, if the United States was really nuking us. Would they only send up like five or six nuclear missiles? I mean, they got thousands. They would all be it's, coming in. It's like nuclear pre-cum. The, it could be, but that's going to cause a lot of problems. And there was a documentary made on this, and it was a Kevin Costner that was in it about this guy. And it was a pretty amazing story when you realize how a lot of this stuff works. And I don't know if it's any different today where this is in the hands of one person. The world's in the hand. You know, a very few people. Joe Biden is one of those. And since he doesn't seem to be the guy in charge of his own faculties, then you have to wonder who this cabal around him, including his wife and the a lot of people coming I, out of I the Obama. Know, trust him. You know, Susan Rice and uh, Obama himself and all of this. It is. Uh, we predicted Joe had to make it at least two years, and it seems like he's holding the course for now. But the minute. Two years and one day is up. Uh, I'm going to be a little worried. Going to be a little worried. It seems like if if you want to make edicts and declarations without any accountability whatsoever, you just be you know be the hand behind the throne. You you they they have literally got the the puppet in front. Everybody is focusing all their attention and all their hate on Biden, who is. Probably, you know, during times when he's not, you know, being drugged up so that he can make a public appearance or or being handed something to sign. Look, Joe, put your note right on the line. Not no. okay, get another copy. He just wrote all over the tech. You know, he's probably spending all his time trying to assemble the building blocks in his playpen or something. It doesn't matter. He's not the one making decisions. I think we all know that. And we don't know who that's what you that was your point you just made. Yeah, but wouldn't it be great to be that guy? <laughs> well, there was an a, an interview with President Barack Obama after he left office, where he talked about enjoying doing the work, if you can use that cliche. But he enjoyed the whole concept running of the, things. Yes, what he had to do, but he didn't like being the guy in the spotlight. So he even made a comment like, oh, he wouldn't mind being you know, a puppet it's master. It's OK, Barry. We didn't like you in the spotlight either. Yeah, but he ex- made a, a comment exactly 
that he wouldn't mind being like the puppet master doing stuff from behind the curtain. And I think he oh, yeah. got a shot. Yes. Yeah. Every once in a while, the truth comes out. Like, yeah. like when, when Biden said during the campaign that we've put together the most extensive voter fraud organization in American history. Yeah. And there are some states that are starting to look at this and Rachel Maddow, I think they played this clip on no agenda. Oh, she well. lost her mind over this. It was fantastic. Which it's like, if why, why would you lose your mind over this? Why not just say, well, they're not going to find anything because it's a bunch of crap. And then they'll finally see you only get really upset is when you think there is going to be something uncovered yeah. that you don't want uncovered. Well, well I, I don't think that Rachel Maddow has any insider information. I don't think that she was personally she's she's just a mouthpiece. She doesn't have any responsibility in the voter fraud organization, but. But she is deathly afraid that her the foundations of her self-worth will be shook to find out that some people on her side are corrupt. So she doesn't want to find out. I, I, I don't know. I, I it's it's human nature that if you if you think that getting confirmation of an uncomfortable fact would cause you, you know, to be upset, then you actually shy away from the information. And. And that's exactly what I heard in the, the Rachel Maddow speech yesterday, which, by the way, douchiest human on the planet. Um, <laughs> but I, it, I guess it, it never made sense to me. I always like I, I would rather have the information and be able to act on it than not have information. Right. Well, and I think that is a lot of what uh, Tyler Perry was saying in that little clip we played, which was join me in the middle. This is where conversation happens. You know, Rachel Maddow, so far to the left, doesn't want that conversation to happen. We just want to tell you why you're wrong and why we shouldn't be doing something. And it's the people who are trying to silence you are the ones I would question. It's the people who don't want to try to get to what it, I mean. I said Joe Biden is, you know, didn't we didn't know how bad his mental state was right off the bat. But I said Joe Biden could have immediately made so much of an impact on people of the United States being the guy out there saying, I don't want to win via voter fraud. We're going to look into this. And if there's voter fraud, I'm going to let you know instead of this. Oh, no, there was no voter fraud at any point. If if anybody highly placed in the Biden campaign or DNC had come out and said, we want you know, we want uh, honest elections and therefore we're going to support an audit, then I, I, I would have had even the briefest moment of confidence that maybe some of it was legitimate but at every single turn when anybody who resists an audit of a process is either either knows or suspects that that process is corrupt in their favor and every single person on the the biden side has resisted from moment one the suing people to prevent votes from being counted again and it's not proof but boy that makes it look like even you think you're guilty yeah well we, it's the same thing what happened in georgia oh my god they're asking for identification to do mail-in ballots how racist even though they they require them for in-person balloting i don't know it's uh i I dropped this into uh, No Agenda Social yesterday, but it bears repeating. I, I decided to coin Bemrose's first rule of propaganda, and that is never trust any conclusion that you're not allowed to question. Yeah, that makes sense. That's create. It's uh, being able to think for yourself. It's being able to do critical thinking and say, OK, well, here's what I'm being told. Does this make sense? 
And if not, you do your homework and you look into it. And sometimes you find out something you don't want to know, but the truth is the truth. Although now we're being told the truth isn't the truth. Science is racist. I mean, the latest is physics now are racist, you know? <laughs> and yeah. I just don't. I mean, I do understand this because this is a belittling of the sciences because of who made a vast majority of the discoveries and a lot of science the discoveries came from white dudes and this is all it doesn't matter well that does, does this have anything to do with the fact that the types of places that that have generally been enlightened and pursuing science happen to also be filled with the majority of white people yeah and it's really just a demographic coincidence and not systemic racism it very much is and it's because a lot of it was in europe you know years and years and years ago you know, the latest is the whole, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, when it comes down to gravity and it comes down. I mean, there are things that have been used as known facts in science that are now. Well, that's racist because of who discovered. Now, that is the most racist thing ever to say. If it's a scientific theory and it's been proven, I don't care the color of the guy or gal or whatever that discovered it. If it holds value, then. I it is. I, I'm with you on your point, but I do want to point out scientific discoveries are almost never proven. Well, no, I mean, that's something that you have a theory and you keep yeah. going down. the. I mean, it could always uh, be disproven at some point. At, at, at any given point, the the forefront of scientific knowledge is really just our best guesses that we have supporting evidence for in yes. pretty much every case. And you try to continue to disprove it, which is fine. Yes. If you're doing it right, then you are constantly trying to disprove anything that you think you know. And if you can't, because disprove as long it, as you can't, that's more evidence that supports it. Right. Which makes sense. But to me, this seems to be a theory and another quiver being shot at the dumbing down of the American culture. And a lot of this is it's being called racist because how dare you know, those Asian students outperform the white students who outperform the black students as an overall demographic. And we, this is horrible. How dare? How dare we let this go on? And the people who want to control you, the kind of people who want a communist or Marxist utopia, they rely on people to be dumb and not to be able to think for themselves. So when you start going after math and the sciences and, and these boy, kind are of we things. Providing. What are we what? Oh, we're providing plenty you know, as a Western society with our, you know, every life is sacred and we we must protect people from each other and uh, themselves and have to put warning signs on everything and make sure that all all sharp corners are covered in bubble wrap. We sure are providing people who can't think for themselves to the the people who need them. Don't drink bleach. Yeah, would be a bad thing. Or, or you know what? Go ahead and drink bleach if that seems like a good idea. <laughs> it's the, you're right. It's Here's the self, a hint. It's not. It's but if you can't think for yourself, you won't listen to me when I say that. Yeah. Self-cleaning theory. But this, to me, is also a very dangerous thing when they're trying to belittle higher education as a whole because of, well, it, higher education was filled with a bunch of old white guys. Yeah, but was the math really wrong? Was the science incorrect? Was the lit I mean the literature? I mean they've gone after that. They've gone after everything 
and the educational system. And I think this was something that was uh, early on in no agenda. They're like, wait, this is coming. Even like with the Me Too thing, it's it's coming. They're coming for they're coming for the education system. And it's been a strange thing to watch because I just don't get the science is racist or the words are racist or whatever. I mean, you just in in saying, oh, the person who discovered this is, uh, you know, was a white man it is immediately and necessarily committing uh, a fallacy of ad hominem. It is talking about who somebody is or what they are instead of what they did, which I, I mean, I think you're with me on this. If if it if you want to come up with the real information you need to be discussing the conclusions made by the person and uh, who the person is or what they are means absolutely nothing. And the, the the biggest problem that I have with wokeism is that and, and, and in particular, the identity ideology is that it is based entirely all of the ideology in, in identity theory is based as its founding axiom on the fallacy of ad hominem, the idea that who you are is more important than what you say or what you do. And rationally, logically speaking, that pretty much invalidates everything else that's built on it. It doesn't, it, if you are, if you want to strict, uh, stick to what you're capable of proving or what you are capable of knowing, then who somebody is, doesn't enter the equation there there's no slot in the equation to drop in whether the person was white or black unless you base your your argument on the the fallacy of ad hominem well yeah and when you're looking for that that is the most racist thing ever like we have to go after this because this is who was involved it's like no disprove the science if you really don't think physics you know what everybody's been taught for how many years if you really don't think that's correct then prove it wrong as a person of color. <laughs> prove it wrong. And then you will go down in history as the person who proven this wrong. But going, yeah, science is racist because there was a bunch of old white men in it. That doesn't help anybody. That doesn't help anybody. It doesn't prove any point. It just proves that you're a moron and a hater and somebody that is a true science denier. These are the same people. They want us to tell you the climate is changing and we got to do something. We got to do something soon. And ultimately, uh, the fact that nobody even knows how to recognize uh, a fallacy or a rational argument, um, I'm still going to continue to place on schools. And, you know, our elementary schools are not teaching formal logic to small children. That, that might be OK. But at some point throughout the school process, critical thinking skills should be taught and aren't. Um, instead, we're. We're showing a bunch of people things on Zoom and then installing malware onto their computers in order to have them take a test. Well, right. You have uh, to have the spyware. Yeah. Well, six months ago and, and then again, 12 months ago on GOB 58 and 102, I talked about online test taking software, which is it is literally malware by every descriptive definition. It, it invades your computer. It takes over what you're doing. Uh, it, it, you know. It installs drivers that send personal data 
and and images from of your entire room. You know, they require 360 degree images of your room. So everything in your room, you know, you you'd better clean up all of those dirty underwear. You, you'd better take down the porn posters because otherwise that information's being stolen or stored in the cloud and it'll be available someday to your you know potential boss. Um, this is bad software. One of the ones I brought up was one called Proctorio, which the EFF is now suing. Oh, is it because of everything we talked about or something even extra? Pretty much. Yes. Uh, there was an undergrad at Miami University named Eric Johnson, uh, who was concerned, to say the least, about the privacy of Proctorio, which he was being forced to install on his personal computer in order to take his exams at university. Um, he went ahead because as, as any good computer person is, they go beyond what they're being taught, which is nothing and, uh, go to what they actually learn. He analyzed the software. He cracked it open under a debugger, the software that Proctorio was pushing onto his machine. Um, he then, and here's the place where he made a mistake. He tweeted about it. He included, uh, an analysis of what this thing is doing to your machine. He included screenshots. He included excerpts from the decompiler which showed places where it's gathering this information from your machine that it shouldn't be gathering and then sending it out to the cloud for storage and use to who knows how. Um, when he tweeted about it, Proctorio came out and issued a DMCA takedown notice yep. to Twitter saying, this is all copyrighted information, take it down. And would you believe it? Twitter took it down. No, I can't believe the nice folks at Twitter would do that. So um, in this case, I uh, caught the attention of the EFF, which uh, unlike a, a lot of rights organizations, you know, ACLU, I'm looking at you. The EFF still seems to be relatively true to their founding principles, which is we kind of like, you know, the freedom is in the name Electronic Freedom Foundation, and they kind of still fight for that. Um, and, uh, so they came up with, um, they're, they're suing Proctorio for a declaratory judgment that, uh, that fair use does not constitute copyright infringement because once they have that, they are going to, uh, have Eric Johnson continue his analysis. And, uh, it, it looks like the, you know, from comments in the EFF article, uh, it looks like they're, they're in this to try to take down Proctorio because these guys are bad mojo. Well, and this is not just being used for these cases. There's been a lot of cases of abuse of the DMCA system to remove information, including reviews, which this was also part of this case was, you know, besides Twitter, I think he left reviews of the software somewhere else and they didn't like that. And, you know, it's disparaging. It's like, well, but it's only disparaging if it's not true. You <laughs> I mean, you can't say somebody disparage you. If- yeah, it's only, it, it's only, well, it, um, truth is a, a positive defense against slander and libel yeah is the legal term you know but being critical of somebody on twitter being turned into a dmca takedown that's a little bit too far but this is again the case of one side owning the playing field that you're dealing with and this is not a fair playing field we see it in politics not even a little bit. We're seeing this now with this, which shouldn't be a political thing, really. But Twitter going, well, we're just going to. And I don't know if this was a case of Twitter just 
erring on the side of, you know, being cautious that they didn't want to get sued. And if they've actually come out with anything since this, as far as backing up what they did, but none of these social media companies have any, anything legally to worry about when they delete your account, when they shadow ban you, when they censor the content you're putting out. It's, it's more than that. They are incentivized in, in any case that there is a, a conflict. There is, in fact, legal liability if they don't censor your content. When I mean, I, I put this all down on the DMCA. Uh, the DMCA is, is written in such a way that when somebody takes a DMCA takedown notice, uh, the most rational cover your ass minimum risk position to take is okay we'll censor it whether it's true or not and and in in the case where a large corporation that can afford a lot of lawyers is issuing it and an individual who doesn't see any need to have a lawyer is the one on the receiving end you end up with systems like the youtube content crackdown whatever it the 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 dmca is written such that if you know if you screw somebody over and censor their speech then if if you're wrong about that you can just put them back or not but you just kind of say you're sorry or not but really there's no consequences however if somebody issues a dmca takedown notice and you don't take it down whether or not it's because you you forgot or you you know missed the notice or you genuinely believe that this is uh, a, a fair use if you don't take it down now, suddenly Twitter is named in the lawsuit on, on, in addition to the person who posted it. And any corporate lawyer will tell you that is not an acceptable outcome. So, of course, they're going to take it down. Well, this is why laws like they were drafting last we checked in in Poland that said social media companies cannot remove or censor speech that is legal on the street. This is where this will start coming in. Because then Twitter's got a problem if they err on the wrong side. If this is legal to be said on the streets of wherever, which, again, we've talked about impossibility when you're dealing with a service that crosses the boundaries of many, many countries. But that's Twitter's problem, not ours. And we need to see more laws that protect what people say rather than protecting these companies that are the ones that are stifling speech. Because there's been a lot. There was a Google Docs case where there was a document which was a a combination of news stories and anecdotal evidence, antidotal evidence about people who had anecdotal, anecdotal evidence. Yeah, of uh, the words don't mean things. Haven't we learned anything on Grumpy Old Ben's? The evidence is not an antidote for anything, unfortunately. (laughs) It might be. It could be the antidote for sanity. But there was this document with people talking about side effects from the various vaccines. And Google just decided to, no, you can't access that anymore. And this was a private document. And it's scary when companies start deciding what you can share, not publicly, but with a private group. And, you know, this would be something like if we were doing research for Grumpy Old Ben's and we shared a doc 
at Google and like, okay, well, anytime we find something, just add it to the same document. So we'll all have it for the show notes or whatever. That seems to be what this was. And it was just a combination of all of these stories around the Internet where people were talking about the vaccines and side effects. And Google decided, no, this was dangerous information, which, again, don't store anything on Google. Start up your own server. Do whatever you have to do to get out from the Google ecosystem. I mean, yeah, it's it's crummy and it's creepy that Google is is scanning private document repositories because it it demonstrates that this is absolutely not about what they say it's about, where they, they say it's to prevent the spread of misinformation. And w- when they scan and censor private document repositories, that's obviously not what it's about, because there's no way if I store a document that I'm spreading misinformation because it's private. I haven't shared it, I, but we, we know that's not what it's about. We know that that's never been what it's about. It, it's about suppressing information you don't like and shaping the narrative and controlling how people think. And in that case, of course, they're going to do that. It, it should uh, nobody should be surprised by stories like this anymore no but people still are when it happens it's one thing when you're posting something i mean this is maybe where people start to wake up a little more because i think people are numb to the i posted something on twitter i posted something on facebook i posted something on instagram and that was removed i think they're kind of numb to that by now but the i had a oh, document yeah, in my google docs that was my private document i was sharing with like five people and that was <laughs> censored or removed that's that's a different step if if that's what it takes for people to recognize that these companies are not to be trusted then i'm all for it we're just here for you we want your safety to be our top priority i don't think they do they they want my private data yeah well yeah that is top top priority is making sure that i stick around and be a good little drone while they milk me for all the private data that they can then sell to advertisers show me ads for for drug companies that really you know shouldn't be if you take enough drugs they could actually milk you and by the way ads for drug companies this is definitely a no agenda theme but i'm going to complain about it anyway uh the u.s is one of the only places in the world where it's legal for drug companies to advertise directly to consumers which is uh, at least in the case in the case of over the counter that makes sense because the consumer is the one making the decision to consume the drug they're the they should have the information that's available but in the case of prescription drugs i can't go to my pharmacist and say give me this prescription medication i have to my doctor has to do that and advertising to me cannot possibly make that conversation go better now making sure that the doctor is available or is it understands what's available and what drugs are out there for prescription that uh, that's righteous. Now I'm not really against the whole graft thing where doctors are paid to write prescriptions for certain drugs and stuff like that, but making sure that the doctor knows what is available on the market for prescription, that's righteous. Making sure that I know that I can get prescription only the way or whatever the, the thing there, whatever the Pfizer one is. Um, I, it doesn't, it doesn't do any good and it is ruining way too many things it 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 destroys reporting because as soon as it you know any advertiser who's who is you know is either providing ads or can be creating ads later 
is somebody that a, a news station will never run a bad story about. So there's bias there. Um, it's making it, if, if I do act on the ad, then it's making it so that now I'm going to my doctor and interfering with their choice of treatment by saying, well, have you tried giving me uh Viagra for this? And he says, no, it's your knee. And now I've, I've made that interaction worse. Uh, depending on what you mean by worse. I, I don't know. I, I just not a huge fan of the fact that prescription drugs are advertised. I think that that's, uh, that that's not good. Oh, Ben yeah. Rose, why did you do that? Film at 11 <laughs> and 12, all sponsored by Pfizer or Moderna uh, or somebody. Yeah. Drug. They, uh, the drug providers, the legal drug providers, they, uh, they like to advertise their product. And there's a lot of the media in this country and, that is driven and what by is that the benefit. Like what, what do you get from advertising that? I don't. No, because you're right. If you have a doctor that is good at what they do, if you come into the doctor and you have a malady of some sort, it's their job to know what would be best to treat you. I never have, except for the things like ED, you know, that's the, well, go ask your doctor about Viagra or blue yeah, chew More or like whatever. go beg your doctor for the little blue pills so you can perform. Right. That, that, I mean, which that, there's a yes, whole new industry. That. I understand that marketing, but there's a whole new industry in this. And there's a lot of podcasts. There's a lot of podcasts who take ads for something called Blue Chew, which you could bypass your own doctor. Oh, no, they have doctors online. You could just do a Zoom call with them and you can get a prescription by just going, yep, I need it. It's scary. And I mean, the whole prescription thing is is a little bit weird and, and quite a bit corrupt already. The idea that the government says you are not allowed to get medications unless somebody who has been licensed gives it to you kind of flies in the face of, of the idea of, of the well, free market. Um, but a lot of things in the med- the medical industry is one of the most communist industries that we have because the number of places where the state steps in and says what somebody is or isn't allowed to do and completely short circuits the, the free market. It's one of the reasons Pretty much pretty much the main reason why medical costs have gone up 10 times faster than inflation for the last 20 years straight. Oh, but don't worry. Inflation's co- uh, going to catch up now. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. Wait till you see your medical costs. Yeah. Remember, though, but uh, Trump was a jerk for trying to lower all those prescription costs, something he actually accomplished. He did take on. Big yeah, don't Pharma. worry. Biden reversed that. Oh, in I know. His first, Immediately. And then people are going to wonder why all of a sudden everything's more and more and more. It's because Joe's nuts. But yeah, Trump, Trump actually made the cost of, of insulin and EpiPens a lot cheaper for about a year. And then Biden on his very first day signed an order that said, nope, sorry, those are getting way more expensive. And boy, those prices went right back up. Just like gas. But no, we're not going to tax anybody unless they make over $400,000. Like, do you buy groceries? Do you buy drugs? Do you buy gasoline? Your life just got way more expensive. We're noticing he, it already. He only wants to tax people who make over $4 a year. <laughs> I, I could believe that. And he wants to take all of that so they could distribute things. The government knows better than you do, but that's nothing new. Now, the whole government and your money thing is a reason a lot of people have been speculating around the world 
in the cryptocurrency thing and it's back up i mean we've been talking about this the last few shows and it's been doing an interesting uh, pogo stick routine up and down up and down up and down and if i was smart which i'm not i would have bought in the dip because it's gone just watching the one don't worry there'll be another one yeah that's true there always does seem to be another one coming down in cardano the one bitcoin type altcoin that i believe in was down at 1.2 91 or 93 cents and i think back today it's back up to like a dollar 18 which doesn't seem like much but that's like 20 something percent in a matter of a few hours you know a couple of days if you put a lot of money into something and you can make a 20 percent return in 48 hours that's nuts because we talked about that with the the accounts you can open up now for a savings account and it's like hey we'll give you one percent <laughs> for the year um you know you're not making a whole lot of cash what there. a deal yeah what a great deal let's put all your money into a savings account and uh the crypto thing though is mm, scary to a lot of people for good reason if you're in turkey there was a couple of stories out one it sounded like the government there was about to uh clamp down and make the cryptos illegal we've talked about this in india as well there's a lot of talk the united states might be doing something but the people in turkey have a bigger thing to worry about which is one of the guys that was running one of the exchanges bolted the country with about two billion dollars worth of crypto oh yeah i mean well i i you know for all of the for for all of how I, I really dislike the idea of government intervention, this is exactly one of those points where, uh, you know, anybody who likes big government intervening would say, see, this is what you get with unregulated markets. And you know what? It it kind of is. Yes. Now, in Turkey, this was something I didn't know. And this is from an article on Tom's Hardware dot com, uh, quoting governments cannot control cryptocurrencies. As a result, they can quickly rise to an all time high or rapidly drop, making them a particularly attractive investment instrument, especially for those willing to take a risk. But here's what I didn't know. In Turkey, anyone can establish a crypto exchange with just 50,000 liras, about $6,000 United States money and capital. So for six grand, you could start one of these things. And uh, I guess that's what this guy did. And then once he got enough cash, took the crypto. And that's, I mean, I use Coinbase which if you have enough crypto, you should probably get a hardware wallet and store your own stuff. But Coinbase is backed by the federal government here in the United States and yada, yada, like a bank would be. I mean, Coinbase has been around a while. They've made a reputation. Yes. I I think that, you know, a caveat emptor is something that in in today's world of of warning signs on everything and, and safety rails everywhere, um, Buyer beware is not something that most people are used to anymore, but crypto is one of those places where, yes, you absolutely have to. And if that means, uh, go with, go with somebody who's been around long enough, uh, to be trustworthy or at least, you know, has, has been around long enough that it doesn't look like they're going to screw you immediately versus go with Joe over here who's, who's creating a coin exchange in his basement. It's, I mean, buyer beware. The name of this company was Thodex, and it said it was one of the largest exchanges in Turkey, about 700,000 users. Many, it says, were lured in by an introductory offer of 
millions in quotes of free Dogecoin. I think that went <laughs> that went out the window when Dogecoin went from being worth you know one thousandth of a penny to thirty dollars, and the guy went, "Oh and, crap!" And now you know why he had to leave the country. <laughs> yes, yes. Now you know why. Uh, you're never going to hear from this guy again. Either Wait, he's going to get lucky. You said who? Who was the guy who ran this? You said it was Metis. You're right. D- he Metis. You can find him on FunFactFriday.com. Um, yeah, I don't know if it actually mentions the guy's name. Just one of the founders of this company and uh, has disappeared. With uh, here found. Meanwhile, Farouk Fat Ozer, O Z E R, the founder, has flown to Albania, taking two billion dollars worth of investors' money with him. Reporting was by uh, CNBC. They're citing local Turkish media. As you would expect, the Turkish Justice Ministry is seeking a red notice with Interpol to arrest him. Yeah, but he's got two billion dollars. <laughs> he's going to disappear. He's either going to get uh, really lucky. smart with it. Yes. Yeah. Either really lucky or really unlucky when you're on the run with two billion dollars. You're either going to get away clean and live on a tropical island somewhere until you die of natural causes and you or you're going to do enough. one dumb misstep and end up in a turkish prison for the rest of your life or dead that's yeah those are the two or, choices or, or, or for three yeah i i can just imagine somebody just a, a routine mugging comes up what's this usb key here yes and the guy like looks at it, is like no don't do anything with that oh yeah and he just <laughs> drops it on the ground and stomps on it <laughs> Yeah. Always have a backup of your hardware wallet. <laughs> Keep that 20 word phrase that they tell you and uh, you can get your money. But that's the beautiful thing. But a lot of people don't keep this stuff safe. They don't you know, they put too much faith like I did in that NAS, <laughs> you know, like what are the odds? Two hard drives are going to fail. And there was nothing on there that I really wanted that I wasn't able to pull off. So, I mean, overall, the uh, tragedy was you averted. just lucked out. Really? Yeah. More or less, that is what happened. And it's a very weird thing for anybody that has to deal with this. And I think it's because of the software on the Western digital devices kind of suck. And I will say that your your talking about that last week did cause me to go out and check when you make sure I'll just verify all my backups we're working on. Right. Because, you know, with the backups, it's not good enough to just have a backup scheduled. You have to go in periodically check and make sure the backups are running and then every once in a while restore a backup right, just right. to make sure that it works it's like everything uploading to your github no that's great my show notes are just going up yeah and then you're like wait it's four weeks later oh, yeah yeah. I, <laughs> I was backing up all my show notes to github i had an automated system that i ran every time and and because of a, i messed up the code just a little bit it was suppressing the one error that said github was failing you know, I have a pirated, allegedly copy of Spinrite NetNed from way back in the day. I'm sure that could just fix that drive right uh, right back up. But the software on this Western Digital, here's what I've been doing. Because, I mean, one, Amazon kind of sucks. I don't know why it's taking days to get a replacement drive. And I know the Western Digital red drives now suck, but it's the only thing that works in their NAS. So I ordered uh, four of them to replace the bad drives. and. I've been copying things off, but here's how it's been working with this. If I copy something off and it runs into the bad sectors, the NAS totally dies and it goes from the RAID array being degraded to damaged and it stops working. I can no longer even access anything to copy anything else off. But once I reboot the unit, it's back to where I can, again, copy stuff off until it runs into things that it can't. And then it dies again. So it's been a fun game of copy everything until it hits one of the things that it can't copy. Yeah. 
It is. I mean, the great thing is it's all remotely done, so I don't really have to do anything but sit at my desk and check it every once in a while. But I don't understand why it's like, well, yes, everything has absolutely failed. Then a reboot and it's like, oh, it's degraded again. (laughs) It'll fail. Oh, no, but you'll reboot it and it goes back to degraded. I'm just waiting for the time it's totally gone, which is fine, because I'm just waiting for all four drives to be here so I can throw six the six gigabyte oh, is, drives in and redo a whole new raid. And and this is why you, you also have seven other NASAs in the same room. Yes. Yeah. That's what you gotta have. Uh, I mean, what, what raid layer is it where you mirror one of your NASAs to two others? A lot. And I've thought about that, but it's like, that just seems stupid, but I, that's why I keep, well, it, it, no, it seemed stupid before <laughs> last Friday. Yeah. Now it seems like that's well worth the money. And I did, I woke up the one day at like four in the morning and I'm like, Oh, were my comic book collections or all, you know, we had a bunch of photos and stuff from trips and stuff for years. I'm like, oh, crap, were those still on there? And I had to go look. And I'm like, no, OK, and then went back to bed because I'm like, oh, shit, did I lose a lot more than I thought? Uh, but the reality was everything else was moved over to working NAS devices yeah. and a lot of the other stuff. There were copies on some external drives. And the reality is it's mainly just this was my, uh, as we like to call it, the personal Hulu or personal Netflix where. You download everything and throw it on there. And this was only TV because, you know, I hoard enough to where there's one NAS that's only movies. And that thing is like way older, but we never watch movies. NetNet in the troll room is saying this week in NAS with Darren O. It should be. I mean, everybody should have one. Might be a clue. We should go off and check on it. Check on our experts. We could do that. But I will. One of these days. Now, if everybody wants to. One of these days, we'll thank some experts. Yeah. And if everybody wants to pitch in, I want to get. Like one of these mothers of all NAS devices. QNAP probably would be the brand I would want to go with. But they have some of these that'll hold up to like 32 drives. And I'm like, I want that. I want that thing. We're, so our our next our next push then is going to be the Darano 33rd NAS yes. fund. Yeah, with like one, a NAS that can replace all of the other NASs. And there's just enough drives. The Moan, the mother of all NAS. Yes, that's what I want. <laughs> the mother of all NAS devices so I can have everything on one and then all of these other little piddly NASs that can only hold four or five drives at a time. Those can just be used for backup purposes of the mother of all NASs. Get the, the server room with the HVAC and I, you look in, you're like, these aren't servers. No, they're all hard drives. They're all connected to one NAS. Yeah, that's that's about what it would be. And I mean, they sit right downstairs. And I mean, the fact that it sits about three feet away from the furnace maybe should be a problem but it stays cold down there the furnaces i've checked that before and in the summer it's nice because they stay nice and icy cold and in the in the winter it's pretty damn cold in that in that room as well but you know i was always i'm checking the temperatures out i keep up on these things and i do keep up which is why when i first saw the oh one drive went bad i'm like oh no big deal i'll just order another one and then immediately the second drive failed like you know can't just catch a break sometimes. Sometimes multiple drives are going to fail, but we do have some experts to thank. First, we why'd you do that, Bemrose? First and foremost, to derail you, <laughs> you could you're gonna have to try a lot harder than that. Coming in with twenty bucks and two different ten dollar donations is our buddy Farmer Todd, who tried to get in on Friday because uh, well, and it's in his note here. He said. He- I missed the cutoff Friday. I sent $10 during the tractor conversation while in the tractor 
and talking to CSP. See, there was his problem. He was talking CSP to CSP. He was in the tractor with him. <laughs> yeah, maybe that was. Now that would be very helpful if CSP was in the tractor. His CSP is a really helpful guy. He is. He like goes out and helps with the tractors whenever needed. Yeah, and he also tells me all the time that oh, um, Dvorak not come on your show. No, he's never going to go on. Like um, he will. I, I have faith. He hasn't yet. I'm like have a little faith, CSB. But he doesn't have faith. But he's talking to uh, Farmer Todd, which is good. And he said, "Here's another ten. Maybe each of you can get a burger." I mean, <laughs> that is sad. That's about well, what it costs in the area here to get a burger. And, well, uh, you, if you have somebody else fix it for you at a, a fast food place, maybe. Yeah, I make my own. I, yeah, I make my own. They, they don't cost ten dollars. No, you can get actually a pretty nice steak for uh, ten bucks at our little local grocery that you can walk to from here. They have really good. It's interesting. And this is something that people need to to know as well, because it's something I never really paid much attention to. But we've been buying the chicken breasts at our local Meyer, which is a national chain. And, you know, I always figured they were OK. There, every now and then you ran into a bad one, which was way fattier. And it's like, well, that just happens. But you just kind of think that's what a chicken breast is. Well, they didn't have it the one time. So we went to the other much smaller grocery chain around here. They only have stores in the area they're not outside of chicago and bought some chicken breasts same price per pound all that and they were like 10 times better they were juicier they were bigger you know it's just everything the texture was better the taste was better and in, insert uninformed rant about hormones in food in in large corporate farms yeah and you know and that's something that i believe is not in the uh and the ones from the smaller place, and they, they've been known for years as being the place for meat, which, I mean, you know, just you can't beat their meat. The, uh, you know, for holidays and stuff, you could get a beef tenderloin for like, you know, $5.99 or $6.99 a pound, where everybody else is selling it for like $14.99. And it's like, I've tried both, and the quality is the same. You know, this, the cheaper stuff is often better. So, I mean, you just have to know you have to be an informed buyer. And you're right. There's a rant in that, which is why buying locally is a good thing yes. to do. And that is what Farmer Todd and, also and says. Supporting locally is is also good. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly what he says. Pleased by each of your comments about buying meats locally, something I've personally been pushing on my own farm for the last almost 20 years. Cheers. Eat beef, not bugs. Farmer Todd. Yeah, we are not going to start eating bugs. <laughs> I love that last line. We are not going to start eating bugs. Uh, we do believe in eating beef and the the only time that I eat bugs is when I'm on the, the ski boat and going really, really fast and you, you end up getting force fed them if you well, if you're on the lake at or if you have evening. anything that has red food dye in it, because that's usually crushed up bugs and ooh yum. <laughs> they're tasty too, let me tell you. Uh, yeah, you, you you never know what's you have to know what's in the stuff. That is a, a big part of it. But when we bought a bunch of the meat from our local butcher here what we i think we talked about that in the last show as well that they were the one that was a restaurant provider and then restaurant closed down when i ordered the meat they had different grades of meat from you know the grade a whatever and they also had one that was chicago based and that is what we ordered and the, the stuff was absolutely delicious i don't know what the actual grade was on it but that was their chicago cut and the criteria for that was the beef had to be sourced from a farm 
that was within, I think it was like 300 miles of Chicago, which, I mean, that's a close enough area. That's about as local as you can get around here. And, you know, I thought that was that's doing the right thing. It's kind of like the localized honey. You talked about how much better that is for you, especially health wise and taking care of allergies and stuff like that. If you can stay local with a lot of this stuff, you're doing a much better thing than walking into a nationwide grocery store and not knowing where this stuff comes from. And, and I, I will I will still recommend that you go out and find your local farmer's market They're They're going to be advertised. They're going to be all over the place. Now, the the farmer's market is going to be because of, of of the mythology these days around the concept of artisanal things. Uh, the farmer's market will have a, a pretty steep markup and, and you look at it and you'll see that it's even more expensive than than your local store. But there's two things about that. First of all, remember that. You're getting much higher quality products there. So in a lot of cases, it's worth it. Like, uh, you know, I, at, at my local store, it's $5.99 for a package of Johnsonville brats. But if I go to one of the local meat packers and get a package of brats, uh, then it'll be $10. But man, they're juicy and they're good and just, just don't overcook them. Well, they're often the other made to, fresh that day that you're buying them. The, the other thing to recognize, though, is that the prices at the farmer's market are not always fixed right um you can often negotiate it down but here's here's where you're really gonna um, the the real tip comes from get to know these people when we go to the farmer's market at least we do when we did before the the lockdowns um my my wife who is the social one and the one that that people are willing to talk to without (laughs) just scowling um my wife would get to know and chat up all of these vendors who, by the way, are are stuck at a market watching people walk by and they can't even leave because they're usually the only one there. They can't leave the stall uh, even to go to the bathroom. Well, you know, they're, they're desperate to just have a chat. They like meeting people, a lot of them. And you chat up the vendor. You you get to know them. You uh, buy from them regularly. And uh, another thing you can do is you can tip a, a lot of places. They don't mind that a lot of play. And you build a rapport. And what happens is that when my wife goes to there, there's a place that sells uh, these fantastic cheese breads. And every once in a while, they'll just throw in a free bread. They're like, here, you know, we, we want you to have this or uh, the, the butcher place that we we bought ten dollar bratwurst from every week for four months. They got to know us really well. And after a while, we're like, you know, we stopped going to the market because of the lockdown. We call them up and like. Hey, um, you still have any of that? Oh, we got a ton. Of course they have a ton. They can't sell it. So and, this is the body by Bemrose plan. Bratwurst, bratwurst, bratwurst. Well, and and uh cheese bread. And beer. Bratwurst and cheese beer. bread and beer. I did don't don't think about <laughs> what topics I'm talking about, but I did just anyway, the idea is if you get to know people, you you can get better prices, you can negotiate down, you can buy in bulk, and suddenly what you're getting is a much higher quality product at uh same or lower cost than than the bulk grocery store stuff we and you want to look for every advantage you can get to get the best deal and the best stuff it's one of those things then when you like show up you know at the butcher or at the farmer's market and you're like hey i want a thing of whatever and they're like oh wait you know we got these special ones here so everybody else is getting the crappy burgers that are up on the shelf but you know, here are the good stuff that we give our friends and family when they show yeah. up. <laughs> and and it, I mean, it pays. And don't don't even worry about, oh, I'm taking advantage of. Them. No, no, because, you know, at, at, at Safeway, if 
they don't sell 20 pounds of uh, of steaks or something then it, because they're corporate nobody particularly cares too much oh we reached the end of the day and we didn't sell 20 percent of it it's getting thrown away um the you know the local butcher would really like to sell that and if that means selling you know if if it's the difference between selling it 40 percent off and and having to throw it away at the end of the day you're going to get a damn good deal by just talking to them hang out get to yeah. know them yes and the quality is way better from these places that specialize more times than not anyway i'm sure there are exceptions but overall if you have a good oh, butcher always, shop there's always exceptions everywhere but you, you know the beautiful thing about the free market is that if their quality is consistently crappy people stop buying there they go out of business and everything the market is better as a result yeah overall support local when you come down to this stuff if you can i understand it's a pain at times but check these things out because quite often you'll get a better deal i mean it seems crazy for people to understand that but the steaks that we bought from the place here which is called a whittingham meats they were way better ham i love it yeah i know it's it's one uh, it's a family name but they arrived they were not frozen but they were already every steak was vacuum packed which made it way easier to put into the freezer without having to worry about you know doing all of that and it was all just prepared perfectly and delivered to our door which i don't know if they're still doing that but that was a covid thing where their employees who would normally be delivering to restaurants they're just coming out to your door with a box of you know burgers and steaks and and dropping them off with no delivery charge or anything so there's a lot of companies that will go out of their way to make it easier for you to buy local so always check that out and farmer Todd's absolutely right for the purpose of of storing meat, I will reiterate uh, a bit of advice that I gave last week, which is uh, buy bulk. It's it's you know, when you're buying local, buying bulk just makes sense. And in order to do that, invest in a large freezer. That's helpful if you want to hide a body, too. Yes. Uh, well, uh, more meat. Yes, that is more meat. I mean, we walked into Costco the first time that they had the carcass of a lamb hanging in the in the case. And it was like, that was the first time I've ever seen that. You would need one of those freezers. No, I didn't have one of them freezers. I need to invest. I need to invest in a freezer because we packed ours to the gills. And uh, because it is just one of those half of the refrigerator side by side. And that's not enough to to store enough meat to last the long haul, which, you know, prices are going up. Get with your butchers and be prepared. But coming in as an expert also today. Radix 023, or you may call him Sir, Sir Spud, Spud the, the Mighty, Mighty. which yeah, that was only a name change because it wouldn't fit in the troll room again. Noagendastream.com. We do these shows live Monday, Friday, noon Eastern. That's where all the cool kids hang out and uh, Cold Acid and meet us as well. But thank you, Radix. He never has a note, just sends in the cash via check, which is good, too, because there's no middleman in that route. But coming in recently, these two just came in during the show. So I was grabbing those while you were ranting. You didn't notice because you rant so much. It doesn't matter. Yeah, which, which time when I was ranting? <laughs> I don't know. It was one of them. See, you can't even you can't even uh, peg it down to one of those. But one, because the, the you're, last you're going to have to just be more specific than just saying when I was ranting. That's all I know. It was at some point in the last uh, 20 minutes or so. And this is ten dollars came in from Arno, who I'm not even going to try to say his last name. <laughs> which is good because Dutzelar? Dut, yes oh okay how did you know 
I was taking a wild guess. Wow, you are good at per, this. Perhaps it was my my Northern European heritage. Maybe. I, I, I highly doubt that because I've never lived anywhere but the Pacific Northwest in America. But, that's pretty, but you know, if I go back multiple ancestor, you know, my, my parents, 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 somebody came from Northern Europe somewhere, I'm sure. This is a pretty good uh, Karnak, though, thing you're doing here. I just give you a first name and you tell me who it is. That's, that's pretty good. But he did include a note and said emptying PayPal, which is always a good consideration for anybody uh, in case you're especially if you have a podcast where you might get deplatformed from PayPal. It's always good to empty that account whenever possible. He says, stay grumpy. Am I a little expert now? No, you're a you're a full sized expert, I would guess. I mean, I don't know how large or not expert. To, experts are one size fits all. Yes, I know. You are an expert. Sir Bemrose has. I guess you can officially uh, give him one of those like Bemrose things. Give him some coding karma. Give him some coding karma. You are now an expert. Coding karma. Oh, Bemrose. Why did you do that? He says, thanks for the show. Learning U.S. politics and tech at the same time. And uh, he, he does note that he's from the Netherlands where you know I used to think things were a little bit more sane there. Arno, until the last couple of years. Between no agenda and hearing from our buddy Mark Van Dyke about what's going on in the Netherlands with the lockdowns, you guys might just be right up there now with us. And, uh, you know, we, we feel your pain and we thank At you. At least they're not Canadian. Right. <laughs> that is true. And we thank you for being an expert. You are officially an expert. If anybody gives you any crap, you come to us and we'll take care of them. That's what we do. Also coming in at 10 bucks, Kenny Ben. Yes, no agenda artist, Kenny Ben, with a note that said, I really enjoyed the Wi-Fi router discussions on the last episode. XOXO, Kenny Ben. We appreciate that. And it's more, we need to do that kind of stuff a little more. I know we mention that all the time. Oh, oh talk about technology? <laughs> well, I mean, even the stuff about, you know, making sure your routers are updated and, you know, what they can do, or what they can see with the routers now with this, yeah, the new standards. We, we- when the show was playing yesterday after No Agenda, uh, Nick the Rat came back, and I, I think he had his mind blown with the idea that if you only have three antennas on your access point that are a few centimeters apart, so you know an access point that's maybe what what, what like what's a decent desktop sized one, ten inches, eight inches? Yeah, even the larger put, ones are only you like a foot. You by make a, a foot. triangular, and you put an antenna at each corner, and it can triangulate exactly where everything is within the size of a house or a small building and 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 it goes through walls obviously but i I mean that's you don't need multiple units i didn't go do my homework and look this up but you could do this all with one access point you're saying still yeah all you need is you you need three receivers and they don't even have to be that far i mean obviously the closer together uh it it affects the the precision it range uh you know how and it affects the math but um basically you just need three places that are all you know, give you a, a degree or two even is is plenty uh you know a few a few minutes of of arc distance between the two and and then you throw map at it and as long as you have enough precision which you know the the single double precision math in computers has a lot of precision as long as you're you have enough precision, the math will always work out. That's uh, trigonometry. Ancient Greeks knew about it, but, you know, modern schools don't teach it anymore, I don't think. 
it's just weird because I, I under it's like a radar thing then and, but what is bouncing back is it getting its own signal back is that how this is work i still don't get uh, it uh, the, the triangulation uh yeah, how are you triangulating with, if you're so if what, with if, like you, with triangulation what you do is you send out one signal and then you have multiple receiving stations and um the the important bit is knowing when when the signal bounces back it will you know if if one receiving station is closer to the thing you're detecting than the other then that receiving station will get the signal back sooner and so you send a signal and then you listen at multiple places and you detect the time difference between when it gets back when you send it and when it gets back and that time distance difference is uh you know you you count the speed of light or or you know i guess radio waves the speed of light if it's sound, yeah, like what's it, it went bouncing back to back it, it's back If you're sending out a Wi-Fi and it hits a person, it's not being bounced back. With if it hits a wall, well, then, it's not not bouncing back. And then you've got you've got a you know if it's not being bounced back, then you've got a lack of a signal, which is again a signal you can detect that you you just invert your your inputs. Um, it, it don't get me wrong, I'm oversimplifying the mathematics because it's quite complicated once you have more than one object bouncing signals and more than uh but again you you know this is the part where you throw machine learning at it and you just train it and if if the thing can learn uh you know when when we get this type particular type of pattern and then you know if you threw a, a proper AI at it, it's going to bring in more signals like when uh, you know, when a cell phone comes in range or, or what, you know, but, uh, silly Penrose math is, is racist. Well, it is, but it's also really useful. Um, I guess suffice it to say, if, if you have enough receivers and, and three is enough to triangulate just about everything, you can build a 3d image when you throw enough mathematics at it. It is something that will blow people's minds it's it's one of the reasons why math majors always make the big bucks (laughs) wait you were a math major you're a podcaster now yeah and i sure wish i'd made the big bucks yeah i mean if you want to help poor poor ryan bemrose math major go to grumpyoldbenz.com slash donate and you have a plethora of ways to become an expert and get involved I had two majors in college. One was math because I actually enjoyed it. And one was computer science because I had no illusions about being able to get a really high paying job in math. Oh, I thought you had a major in alcohol and cavorting. No, I had minors in, in <laughs> brew tasting and amateur gynecology. And you've, you've become much better at those with practice or, or not. I don't know. I've had more practice. Yeah, a little, a little anyway. But grumpyoldbenz.com slash donate. You can use the donate button. That's PayPal one time or monthly. You can use the P.O. Box address if you want to go the check route, which we appreciate. Or you can use one of the cryptos, Bitcoin, Ethereum, or Cardano. And if there's one you really like and we don't have a wallet up, let us know, and we can probably add that. But that's where you want to go to become an expert, and we appreciate everybody for supporting this, the grumpiest podcast in the known universe anyway. There may be some beyond our universe, but if that's true, we haven't found it yet. But if that's true, we don't know them. Right. And we can claim it anyway. So what else do we got? I uh, got another supply chain attack. Ooh. Uh, in the password state password manager, which is a 
should, should alarm a little bit of people. If, if you're getting uh, vulnerabilities, you know, you get a vulnerability in your chat app. You're like, ah, this is terrible. Maybe I'll use a different app. Right. Uh, you, you get your password manager compromised. There might be problems. Yeah, that is the we've talked at length about password managers and what the downfall is. Being, we, we've recommended password managers over and over again. Yes. And if your password manager has an exploit, then the hundreds, if not thousands of password username, password combinations you have are then at risk of being out into the wild, which would be a total nightmare. I don't know about you. I don't have hundreds of thousands of passwords in my password manager. You're not hacking enough then. I clearly or I'm not or I'm not signing up for free accounts at every freaking PHP BB out on the Internet. You did at one point, though. I, I, I yes, but I've forgotten all those. In fact, I've forgotten the one password I used at all of those accounts. <laughs> well, yeah, back then, nobody thought about these kind of attacks. Yeah. So um, click, uh, by the way, a supply chain attack. Uh, we talked about a, the, the big supply chain attack from was from January. That was where we talked about that at length, which was SolarWinds. Right. Uh, supply chain just means that uh, they didn't hack your computer immediately. What they did was they got into the update mechanism and all software these days is set to automatically phone home and look for new code to download and execute, which is why it, the supply chain attacks are particularly horrifying because there's no, no good defense against them for a consumer other than shutting off automatic updates. If you're allowed to do that, um, click studios, who is uh, the, studio that put together this the the password state manager um they were compromised and uh they by the way uh they sell password state mainly to corporate customers so i don't expect a lot of people listening to this probably use this password manager um they say up to twenty nine thousand users affected i went ahead and poked around their site and uh they said that they have over twenty nine thousand users using the password state manager um so that's where that number came from that's a decent amount. Uh, it's it's not bad. Um, like I said, they're mostly corporate customers, but you might be if you're using this one. By the way, the recommendation if you happen to use Password State is immediately change all of your passwords, and then you may or may not consider using a different password manager. Uh, they have fixed the the compromise in in their system. Uh, their their system was compromised. Their updater system. Uh, such that uh, it was used to install a malicious file on users' computers. Uh, the users' computer, uh, it, you you got a file called moserware.secretsplitter.dll, which was part of a, a secret splitter package. I'm not exactly sure how it's used, but um, but if you have a file called that, um, then then you're probably compromised. Uh, that file attempts when, when run, which is, is after the update and your software reboots itself, it will attempt to retrieve and execute a web payload from a URL that would be, that'll be in the article. Um, that payload then once it's downloaded, uh, the, the payload is currently set to scan systems, scan your local system and push all the data to its attacker CDN. So it doesn't look like anybody had turned on the botnet aspect of this. They were just scanning systems and, and getting your data. Now, uh, that's not great. Um, and you probably lost some credit card information and you almost certainly lost all your passwords right, right. to this. Um, but at least it looks like 
it looks like they got to it before the web payload was switched to uh to to i i start ddosing someone or something right well this Maybe. may have been early in the system like well let's see if this works and then we can add we can add the big punch to do well it. the problem is that that it also you know the downloading payloads from a an attacker controlled domain they can switch that at any time so if you are still compromised then every time that you launch the thing it will go and check and if the attacker switched out the payload then your system's doing something else so if you're compromised then stop using this software now um yeah, and you have to be aware i mean this is one of the this is way more nefarious than trying to hack an individual computer when you get it higher up on the chain because if you can get into one of these companies that's providing things to people that then download from there this is the problem with open source stuff like linux if you can get something into the official iso then that's going to be spread way further there's been a bunch of problems lately with the qnap nas devices which i do have a couple of those except i don't make mine accessible to the rest of the world i understand why a lot of people do because they want to back up the stuff off of their phones or they want to uh yeah, be able to, to watch yeah they, they want to be able to do music or you know there are ways to set it up to be safer but the safest thing you could do is not be accessible by the outside world yeah which works great if you're a shut-in yeah it does the uh thing with the qnap one that they credited with being able, they made, what was it, $250,000, the nefarious folks, in about a week, I think it was, and I'll put the, here it is, $260,000 in five days. This was an exploit for the QNAP network attached storage devices. If they got into your device, they used 7-Zip to encrypt the data, and they, uh, only charged i mean i know it's a bargain when somebody breaks into your system takes your data but they only charged five hundred dollars to get the data back rather than thousands or hundreds of thousands and i guess a lot of people went eh, 500 bucks i just want my data back two hundred and sixty thousand dollars in five days again we're in the wrong wow. business uh, yeah we we need to be a lot more evil than we are i guess yes evil pays evil pays although there was another story which i didn't even understand because of the way crypto works on uh, a bunch of accounts that were uh, sanctioned, it said, by the U.S. government. This was from a bleeping computer story. And uh, and before I get to that, I do want to mention Sonia, a.k.a. Tantanil, in the Netherlands is listening. And she said she just heard she said me, but it was you that happy we're not Canada. She says we have been Canada for the last four months. So I guess the Netherlands. <laughs> is, I'm so sorry. Yeah, it is. Uh, but if, if it helps any here on the left coast, we're desperately trying to be Canada as well. Yeah. And you're more north than a lot of Canadians. So you could. Just, I, I actually live more north of most Canadians, but I do live south of all Netherlanders. Yeah, this is a, this was a story from April 18th. So about a week ago on bleeping computer, U.S. government sanctioned. 28 cryptocurrency addresses allegedly associated with entities or individuals linked to Russian cyber attacks or election interference. Yeah, sure. I don't really buy that. But when people use these crypto addresses and they have to when you're doing these ransomware attacks, the way this works is the address for the crypto accounts are public because that's the only way you could pay them. 
You know, it's not like you sure. can't figure out where these, you know, what addresses they are. That's kind of the whole idea of an address. Yes. It's, it's it, in order for something to be functional as an address, it needs to be addressable. But it's like, what the hell does this actually mean? Because they list like all the different Bitcoin addresses, Litecoin, Ethereum that were using this. And they're like, well, the government has sanctioned the U.S. government has sanctioned these addresses. What the hell does that even mean? The article doesn't really even say. But it's like, what do you I mean, mean? Are they talking sanction like like Cuban embargo sanctioned? I don't or? know. It just says it was an executive order by President Joe Biden, which right there oh, should have realized. So- so we know that it's it's corrupt and probably incomprehensible. Yeah, they released, you know, they talked about a bunch of Russian things, Cozy Bear, Solar Winds, supply chain. The U.S. government stated the cyber attacks and election interference disinformation. You would think bleeping computer would be smarter than this, but I guess they're not either. Were conducted by Russia's Federal Security Service and Russia. They're, they're, they're busy carrying the weight of almost all the tech news because so many other sites don't. And they should just stay out of politics like everybody says we should. Uh, it says a press release that a Treasury Department by the Treasury Department states that a Pakistani company known as Second Eye Solution provided fraudulent identities to the Internet Research Agency to help uh, get uh, by U.S. sanctions. I just don't understand what this means to sanction a crypto address. It doesn't. I mean, the U.S. government has no control. Over these Bitcoin accounts or how to get money out of these accounts, it's not possible to do so. So I don't understand what it means. Maybe it's the same thing as like when they decide to censure a member of Congress, which means nothing. You you rub your fingers together and say shame, shame. That may be all it is because I'm like, what's why is this even a story? I mean, you're not stopping. You're not getting the money back. You can't get the money back if these really are Russian intelligence, which I don't believe, but if they are behind these crypto addresses, the U S government can't be like, Hey, we're just going to empty those accounts. Can't do it. That's not how crypto works. That's a big part of crypto. That's what people seem to like. And that's what governments seem to hate, which is why this is going to be a drag down, drop dead battle between crypto and governments around the world. And, uh, I don't know. I think governments are eventually going to win, but play the game while you can make some money. Make some money. Make some money while you can. Oh, and your state is in the news. I know you love Oh, Washington is. Uh, uh, All I know is the news is bad. It usually is. Although, I mean, the first one, I mean, we'll go with the kind of thing that mm, we won't have to criticize them for being totally out of touch. Although they kind of are. Uh, Washington state votes to kill the law that restricted community broadband, which on its surface. I would say that's great, but knee-jerk reaction, removing laws is always better than making them. I would agree. The question I would have is how many towns actually are providing a good broadband experience for people that the capitalistic pigs like Comcast or others are. Usually, it's a rarity that the community broadband is actually competitive, works correctly, doesn't break down that the people running it actually know what they're doing so I mean, while it's good that there are no more n- not a law there in washington that says you can't have community broadband i want to see a success story from a town that this actually works with in washington i think there there are quite a few places in washington you know, washington has so many geography challenges where you, you know a, a lot of places where you try to get broadband out to a rural area, you do so via EM waves, sending either, you know, microwaves or like high, 
high power Wi-Fi or something. And uh, Washington, it's it's difficult to get that done because there's often mountains in the way. Um, there's a lot of communities that have tried to work around this because because of the challenges. It's not usually worth it for the big corporations to do it. Um, so I know I, mean, I can't think of any examples right now, but I know there are places like in eastern Washington, uh, you know, northern Idaho, where they've got uh, the local community put together. Uh, it, it, you know, community efforts to try to get broadband to places because it, no one else would. Um, the the place where community broadband really shines in in rural areas is where the big corporations are like, eh, screw you. Um, also, I, I I'm this is unconfirmed, so I might be entirely wrong, but I think Tacoma, which is hardly a small rural town, um. I think Tacoma had a municipal broadband for a while that was really quite competitive. But you said for a while. Does that mean that's no longer in existence? Well, if it was illegal, then I'm guessing they didn't do that, <laughs> but I really haven't paid attention. <laughs> I guess that would make sense. So we'll I, see. Maybe, I, they, maybe they can come back with this. I, I don't know. It's here here on the other side of Seattle, I'm I'm very much stuck in, in a Comcast zone. Well, no, but you have a secondary ISP. Yes, only because we grandfathered it during the two years that they were selling fiber. And we started paying for it and we paid every single month. And if we ever miss a month, they disconnect the fiber and there's no way to get it back. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. You need more fiber in your diet. But the story that you're going to love. But not, not, not this kind of fiber. Oh, it's the, a different the, kind. No, the, the glass fiber optic cable's not actually great for your lower intestine. <laughs> it would cut right through it. Think perforation. Yeah, that's not good. But Washington State, according to the AP, I believe this was from this morning, on track to become the second state in the nation to have a comprehensive carbon pricing policy. Woo! Uh, they, they tried to do that uh, by initiative a year ago, and it ended up getting voted down. And uh, I know that everybody in Seattle that, that was you know politically vocal started complaining about how the citizens of the state don't know what the hell they're doing, and we're just going to have to push it through con- uh, the legislature. So, And they did. Yeah. Wouldn't be surprised if, if that's what they did. A 27 to 22 vote. It now goes to Governor Jay Inslee, who had requested the legislation. Who's, who's so we've never know. seen a tax increase he didn't love. Yeah. We are genuine. This is uh, Democratic Senator Reuven, R-E-U-V-E-N, Carlisle, the bill sponsor, who says, quote, we are genuinely authentically on the march towards paris accord levels of emissions yay this is pretty exciting yeah thanks you to everybody in washington i hate for, it for becoming for becoming just what everybody said you were it's uh it's sad when you read this is kind of like reading uh a lot of the stuff around the vaccines and it's like i understand when people are relieved, you know, if they get the vaccine, especially if you get it and you don't die within three weeks, that's probably good. And I, but I don't understand. I, I'm relieved every single day that I don't die. Yeah. I mean, but then there's, there's like an amount of elation around some things. And this kind of appears to me to be one of those when you're talking about carbon credits and all the bull crap around this kind of stuff. It has nothing to do with helping the planet. It is all about virtue signaling. It is just about the rich and, getting richer. A lot richer. of people get some massive elation from their virtue signaling. We it is. That. Yeah. This is uh, according. Uh, let's see who who said this here. Uh, uh, Carlisle pointed 
to so the same woman uh, or man i don't know i don't want to disgender uh deal struck by the lawmakers quote this is going to have really substantial implications for reducing carbon emissions across washington he added okay so it's a he no no it won't <laughs> <laughs> you're no of course it won't but you know we're being told and it's probably gonna end up costing you a whole lot more money now but oh i'm certain nothing to worry the, about nothing to see here the, this the is just, only thing going up faster than the cost of living out here is the the housing prices which means at some point soon, I'm going to have to get out because I won't be able to live here. But as soon as I sell the house, that's my exit strategy. And you won't ever have to see me again because I, if I can stick around for another year, this this crappy little house I bought for $120,000 will be worth, you know, $2 million. Republicans who have blasted the bill. There are Republicans in Washington. Oh, my God. Uh, they, they blasted as a Eastern Washington on businesses that would also mean increased cost for Washingtonians. A senator Ann Rivers from Republican said, what I feel in my heart right now is a very heavy weight because I know there are families in my district from across the racial demographic who will never be able to bear the weight of what this bill promises. Yeah. Congratulations. It's virtue signal. Yeah. Well, I, maybe. Maybe somebody will look at this and say carbon taxes are racist and then it'll die on the vine. <laughs> yes, do that. You're the guy. You're in Washington. Be that guy. Go out there and be like, this is all racist. And see if you can get some traction. People will be confused because they want to say everything's racist. So you could probably get thousands of people to sign a petition saying this is racist as long as you don't let them know that you're not one of the woke. People don't have a lot of information. Use that against them. That's all I'm saying. Uh, yeah, but people don't want a lot of information. <laughs> Comic strip lugger. Your podcast still going on or is it post show? Yeah, it, it, stop I'm, napping. I'm not sure myself. Yeah, stop napping, CSB. We're wrapping this show up. And it was another award winning episode, I think, of yes, news. Yes. We can be like YouTube and give ourselves an award. Can we? I mean, I guess we could. What we oh, said. yeah. That was another story from No Agenda yesterday where uh, the uh, there they had some kind of awards show where they came out and and Susan Wojcicki won uh, a massive award for like humanitarianism or no, it was it was like freedom of speech award or something like that, which is utterly ridiculous until you realize that the awards show was put on by YouTube. Right. It's, it's prevented by you. Yeah. Not not. Uh, yeah, it, it, it means a lot less. When you give yourself the accolades. But we'll take it. You're I, an expert, you know, Ryan. If if nobody else is going to, I'll go ahead and do it. You we, know, may, we may as well do Grumpy it Old Ben's. The, the best show on Grumpy Old Ben's. Yeah. Bar none. And with the best producers, with the best experts. And you need to be a part of this to be a part of the fun. GrumpyOldBen's.com slash donate is where you want to be to keep this show on the air twice a week. Coming straight into your ear hole with no filter. Well, except the audio filters. We have no content filtering. That's why. No Bemrose filtering. Right. I was going to say, I keep trying to work on a Bemrose filter. Nothing's been strong enough yet. So if anybody can help me with that, that would be very I, much I'm appreciated. I'm pretty sure it'll end up with a 1997 UI. <laughs> Probably. Well, that's if you write it. It's like, why does this UI suck so much? And they're like, oh, wait, I wrote it. That Okay, I'll just move out. Move along on. Uh, but we'll be back on Friday to, well, 
tell you what's going on in the world, tell you why we hate it. I mean, every now and then we like stuff, but uh, yeah, yeah. every now and then we like stuff and then it breaks. Yeah. And if everything was all sunshine and lollipops, we wouldn't be grumpy. Now, would we? With that said, until next time, I am Darren O'Neill coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of middle America, just outside of Chirac, where I got nothing. And from America's left coast, where VHS rental is making a comeback. I'm Ryan Pemrose. Felons. (laughs) 